Realms, an Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Bug River this episode are... I'm Paul, and oh I, I just died in your arms tonight. Because this is a brutal cutting crusade. Yeah, and I'm Aaron, and uh, do you guys want to go crusading? Let's get cracking. And I'm Davey, and I'm only here because this... Uh, Decree Sigmaris told me I had to be. In this episode, we are discussing Dominion by Darius Hinks. Lace up your hiking boots as we blaze a trail into the wilds of Gert, found yet another city of Sigmar. Mike, there's so many. How are you guys tonight, my fellow Dawnbringers? Really good. Yeah, doing great. Pretty good. I love to hear it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing pretty good too. Thanks for asking. Um, we're we're going to chat tonight about Dominion, the novel. Um, not the the box because there's no I, there's, there's it's not as much a narrative as a full-fledged novel and we haven't done one in a long time I'm, we're a little out of practice we got to get back to our roots black library etc cetera, etc cetera. let's just hope and gur those roots don't like you know uproot themselves walk the land and then start drawing blood from bodies sure or crack into a, crack into a mountain <laughs> prison and release uh sleeping god um that'd be a crossed. bad idea yeah yeah no thank you nobody uh, would ever do that that's such a stupid idea it's all right but before we get into that i want to hear what you guys have been up to it's been a bit i haven't had davy on the show in a long time so uh davy we missed you tell us what you've been up to uh in the hobby since we've had you last uh well i have been as you might imagine playing a lot of underworlds uh keep <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are back on like a regular schedule for what the heck. So, uh, every two weeks on Monday morning, we drop an episode that's going pretty well. We've had some good guests on there. Uh, we had one awesome dude, Matt from, uh, the set, the Temple blog. And, uh, we always do this community shout out, uh, section and his community shout out was for the story phase. Cause, uh, he had heard about it through what the Hex and, uh, was dipping his toe into age of Sigmar and the lore behind it. So, uh, plus one listener to story phase courtesy of what the heck? Oh man. Now we're at two listeners. I will, I will take the according, uh, percentage of royalties. Uh, <laughs> so. uh it's check your PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, uh, doing some painting, it's the same thing. We're, uh, kind of enjoying the, the mini projects. So got the, um, uh, the frost giant, uh, slayers done. Uh, and I'm working on, uh, Aaron, cover your ears, some conversions for the eyes of the nine. Um, <laughs> what <laughs> using uh Corvus cabal bits. So they're the eyes of the cabal kind of leaning into the idea that, uh, so they got, uh, Vortimus has that wing and the, the bird feet. I was like, you know what? I could, I could get even more birdie up in this piece. Um, so, uh, but I like, uh, the Corvus Cabal model, it made me revisit those. And I realized I like those so much that I got another box because I felt bad for cutting up the one I had. So nice. Rightfully uh, so. those as well. Did you apologize to that box? Those are the best Warcry models, in my opinion. Those are my first one, and I bought two boxes and I cut up the second one too. So props. You guys are monsters. <laughs> They're pretty great. I was trying to figure out like what could you do for a whole army of that? Like, could you do like feather cloaked chaos knights and all this sort of thing? So, do you want to hear my idea? I, on that, whether I do or don't, I think I'm going to. So I'm going to tell you. Honest. So you take Archaeon, you put him on that big vulture thing, right? Give it a bird face, and then there's his Dorgar, and then you take uh, the Glade, uh, the the Warhawk Riders, and you put the Corvus Cabal on them, and then those are your Varengard. 
And there you go. You use the Corvus Cabal as your foot troops. You've got a core battle line of Varengard, and then you've got Archaeon on a big, massive bird, and job done. It is kind of cool. I like Job done. Yeah? (laughs) It's just that step one, do that. Step two, done. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what you have to do, though? Then you have to call them the 99 Feathers, because then they're from the Spear of Shadows, which is a tie back into the the story phase. Full circle. I was... I was leaning on that uh, for for mine. So uh, what have you been up to, Paul? I have been working on Harkiron, still uh, doodling away on getting some of those units done. Um, With 3.0, the list has changed a bit because I can't have a unit of 40 Corsairs, which I'm actually grateful for because I don't have to paint another unit of 10 Corsairs for my big unit. Um, I've been working on Mortal Citizens for that, so I made a fisherwoman called Salmon Ella, so that was fun. Um, <clears throat> I've been painting some terrain, but I've also been working on my Squigglanch. We are starting a Path to Glory campaign at the Warhammer store here in town, thanks to uh, Vint and everyone else coming up and showing up. Uh, Vint, friend of the show, Sever, friend of the show. I'm just going to get in there. Uh, so I've been um, painting up my Squig army and my lore I, I really enjoy for them. They are from the Pits of Cathardia and Hish. And so they all have their metal is actually the spent ether quartz from the Lumineth and their bones are made from the same thing. And so they are literally consumed by the hatred that the elves have abandoned. And then they have all blinded themselves so as not to get too smarty from the, the Hish uh, intelligentsia. So they're just blinding <laughs> balls of rage and it's been a fun project. So I've been enjoying it. And, and I, I'm trying to think how I can make a smarty joke. Nope, it's not going to work. Uh, yeah, and what what have I been up to? Honestly, I don't want to say because uh, it's been taking. I'm embarrassed, and it's been taking too long. Um, but I'm still I mean, we're doing. We're happy for you to be embarrassed. So, yeah. uh, still doing my Hellstriders. I've I've finished the whip dudes, but now I got to do the dudes who have like the the spear. Like their arm is warped into a spear. Whatever that. There's a term for that. I'm sure. Spear? Uh, I don't know. Spear what, arm. Why? Jeez, oh, why, <laughs> why are you uh, doing Hell Striders? Is that part of a kit that I don't remember? Yeah, it does. They were in the. Let me look. They're on my wall. Um, not Shadow and Pain, but Wrath and Rep. No, it was Shadow and Pain. Yeah, that sounds uh, super slaneshi to be pinning Hell Striders on your wall. I'm just no, gonna lay that out there. It's my sweet uh, mosaic of all the battle boxes. Um, so it's the God. It's the last unit I have to do. I just want to be done. Um. I don't even like Slanesh all that much. Sorry, Davey. Um, but <laughs> Slanesh, Slanesh likes you uh, enough for the two of you. <laughs> uh, well, in that case, I'm flattered, I guess. Uh, so I just got to finish this guy. I only have like one or two left uh, of those spear dudes, and then I will put them in a box. I'll never look at them again, and I can move on to something <laughs> else. You're going to put them in your box? You're not even going to put them in your display case? No. No, it's because there's too many. Well, I, mean, I, I, okay, this is longer than anybody cares. I use this display case as a staging ground. So, like, once I finish the assembling, I, I unit by unit put them in this the display case. But that's the last unit, and once it's done, then collectively they'll all go into a a clear box. I could look into it if I wanted to. Uh, I won't, but I mean, I could. It sounds like you need more display cases. Don't don't tempt me, man. I don't have enough. There's not enough walls in this house um, for that sort of sort of nonsense and my wife would be unhappy um but i know it's not very interesting same old story we'll 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 progress nobody wants to hear about that what they do want to hear about though 
is the story phase. This here book that we're going to talk about, the the, the Dominion novel by Darius Hanks. Um, so unless you guys have anything else, I think we could probably go there. I think Let's go there. Nice. All right. Uh, to get there, I, I need Paul to say the magic words. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. The story. Witness the destructive forces that are on the rise in the realm of beasts firsthand and see the indomitable defenses of Excelsis tested like never before. Oh, so dramatic. <laughs> um, is it a spoiler to say that that little blurb almost doesn't necessarily describe the book? I wouldn't say. It describes like the first chapter. Yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, I pulled it from the Black Library website, but. Eh, eh. I'd say the second half of that is particularly problem yeah we'll get we'll get, we'll get to it but let's let's hang out in our spoiler free section let's uh let's be let's soak in it for a little bit um and start with our with our with our w's um the classic w questions um let's let's begin with maybe when when does this story take place this dominion by darius hanks you guys got any thoughts i would say that this actually um is a departure from previous stories because the previous stories have kind of talked a lot about the idea of the perpetual now, right? Where everything is kind of happening in the now that is happening, but there's no defined space necessarily where that now is it's between this time and this time, right? But Dominion being specifically the book to be released with the AOS 3.0 starter, and since the plot line does move forward from edition to edition, it is the farthest forward that we have ever been. Um, so it is now. It's not a perpetual now. It is literally the now in the timeline of Age of Sigmar. So that's kind of cool. I, I'm happy with that. Yeah, we get a lot of, um, like you said, there. there is, I feel like there's. it's sort of halves and half. A lot of books, like you said, are in that perpetual now that are sort of nondescript, or maybe they're vaguely after a, a large event, but like they very rarely like reference it. Like, oh, oh no, there's undead, or there's more undead because the you know, the necroquake happened, you know, years and years ago or something like that and then sometimes they do books that tie into a major and maybe not even books but like short stories and things that tie into a major event this obviously is is one of those latter ones where it's very clearly tied into the uh aos 3.0 uh progression so thank goodness i feel like for years and years we were constantly saying well this is a post necroquake book you know it's that vague time after that uh we are clearly post necroquake we are mm -hmm. Like it is definitively done. We're post broken realms at this point in a new era. We're post soul wars, um, and we are absolutely post Kragnos specifically um, because Kragnos takes place in Excelsis, and this ta book takes place after that. Hmm. To phrase it another way, we're post everything. Like there's there's nothing we're not post currently. <laughs> Try and name something. Can't do it. Um, we are post office. Yeah. So if that doesn't uh, that doesn't narrow it down for you folks. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> I showed some restraint. I was going to say something about Malone, but I was like, right. Oh, come on. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are we supposed to show restraint on this show? I was not informed of this decision. Uh, hey, let's do some more W questions. Um, we're in Wisconsin. That makes sense. Uh, where does this story take place? Uh, and what do we know about the area? What's notable about it? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think we had mentioned Excelsis earlier. Does anybody want to run with that thought? Yeah, I mean it. Uh, well, it doesn't. It doesn't literally open in Excelsis, but gets there pretty quick. Uh, and then uh, it's it spends some time in Excelsis, and then spends some time in. I guess it's uh, Thondia is the region. 
mm -hmm. outside of Excelsis. Um, so that would be Gur for folks who don't know. Um, but uh, so the realm of beasts, uh, specifically the region, uh, actually pretty darn close to Excelsis, but uh, um, exploring some of that. Uh, I think that's the most I can say without spoiling. Well, I, I will, I'd like to point out a couple things here, which is that, um, <clears throat> we do have other stories that are set in this area, uh, from black library before. Um, so we've had city of secrets, uh, that's taken place in Excelsis. Uh, and then we've had Callus and toll, which is started out in Excelsis and, and so the point isn't that we've had a lot of stories and like, oh, look at me. I've read all these stories. The point is to say that this is So probably, look at you. You've read a lot of stories. I, I mean, is that what true. you wanted? Absolutely true. Uh, but that we actually have probably the greatest knowledge of Excelsis and the surrounding area than we have of any other place up to this point in time. Because we have done a lot of novels and short stories that are based in the area. Um so I, th I think that's kind of pertinent, um, especially because the the Black Library was put into canon when we talked about Kragnos and Excelsis and we've got Callus and Toll and Erika Zenth and all these other characters that have evolved around this city. So um, even though Excelsis is not considered to be the greatest city of Sigmar, I think it's arguable that Excelsis is actually the the most fleshed out black library AOS city that we know to begin with. Is that a fair statement to make? Uh, more than most. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I was more well-read so I could say definitively, but it, at least in the books that I've read, yes, I've, I feel like I've mm -hmm. spent more time in Excelsis than maybe any of the other cities of Sigmar. So I'll agree with you on that front. So the, the effect that it might have on this book is that we're actually trying to explore between those spaces. Um, which is an interesting thing that we haven't had in Age of Sigmar before, to my knowledge, is trying to find a space within an explored area with which to have the story. So that's kind of cool. Um, it, it continues to flesh out this area in a very dramatic way. So I think that's, that's a really interesting thing and a reason to read this book. It, it, it does include a lot of, that we've already read. So I think that's cool. And I'll say spoiler alert for, uh, I guess, the Kragnos uh campaign book though go listen to that episode and read that book first but um i guess how fortunate it didn't get destroyed right that so that we can keep telling stories like in this space in this region um there i think there's more to mine there more prophecies to chip off the spear of malice all right cool i'm gonna move right on to the who uh let's speak generally about who we're following uh in this here in this here novel uh because I'll, I'll lead with, it's not anyone that I don't, th I don't think that we've interacted with before. These are all net new characters. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about the who, though, generally? We can talk about the fact that typically if a novel is named after a box set, it's going to include at least somewhat ephemerally the, the models that are in the box set. So the box set for Dominion includes Stormcast and Thunderstrike armor and then also the Cruel Boys. Um so without saying spoilers, I think it's fair to say that that is part of what this novel is going to be about. Would you agree with that? Although, yes, definitely yes. Uh, man, is it a spoiler to say that by no means are they the stars of the show? I don't I mean, you, I mean, you know that, right? I mean, right mm -hmm. from the get-go, right? So, like, this yeah. is very much – I think part of what this AOS 3.0 – 
like it's got it's it's got a couple facets to it, right? Part of it is the new Stormcast and the, and their Thunderstrike armor. It's the Cruel Boys, this new army that we've never seen before. But like a third pillar of what we what we know so far is about these Crusades that are sort of emanating out from uh, the cities of Sigmar. And I think it's this book predominantly focuses on that third pillar of the what are they the Dawnbringer Crusades? Um, and so that's what's going to get the most screen time those those individuals that are sort of moving that plot uh for it so a lot of cities of sigmar type folks humans and and dwarden and i don't think there's really any elves but um you know those those followers of sigmar those devoted of sigmar um is is where we get a lot of screen time in this book so i would say that the major players here actually there's there's two plot-based major characters um which would be gur the realm of Gur itself and the Dawnbringer Crusades. Save save that hot take Gur as a character for for later, Paul. All right, it's, that's got to be the big reveal yeah. at the end where you start where you, where you start <laughs> like being really like philosophical. Sorry, no, right. I'm joking with you. <laughs> we, we need some ammunition for the end, otherwise it's going to peter out. Yeah, you All can't right. pe- you can't bring out that 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 hot stuff uh, so quickly. Um, Davy, do you have any opinions on the who? There, there is. Uh, I think you pretty immediately discover that there's a, a brother sister um, dynamic. So you have you have a family uh, being involved as well, um, trying to make some connections that way. Right on. And then finally, is there any other what's? And that's that's vague or as broad as you want it to be. Any any major um, what components, to, spoiler free wise, uh, to this story that folks ought to know before uh, they read it. Not off the top of my head. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's no. I think that that about covers. That gives you a good sense of what your what the major flavors are getting put together for this. Yeah, right on. All right, neat. I do want to get to to the spoiler section, but we'd be remiss if we didn't pause for just a hot second and give people our spoiler free mm, review thoughts recommendation uh, for the for those potential readers. Is this something we think they ought to they ought to pick up? Is it worth the read? This is a hard one for me. Um, it is worth the read, uh, but I don't know if I would say that it's worth the read in the traditional novel sense. If you're trying to be engaged with the characters, um, not that the characters are interesting, but the setting itself is really what sold me on this novel. And so for the setting alone, I would recommend reading it. If, if that's a fair way of putting it. All right. All right. Uh, Davey, what do you think? So I think it's probably most valuable if you are coming to the game relatively new. Um, if you're wondering what it's all about, you got started in Dominion. You want to know more about the background. Uh, I felt like there was some retreading of ground with uh, some of the Stormcast dynamics. Uh, but if you don't know anything about Cities of Sigmar, if you don't know anything about Gur, if you don't know really anything about Stormcast, there's a lot to kind of pick up and, and soak in as far as that goes. Um, and obviously, uh, cruel boys are new to everybody. Um, but I think if you're already like really well versed in the lore, then there's not quite as much there for you. Um, so I think that would be the caveats I would deliver if you were, uh, coming to this novel, deciding whether to read it or not. And not to be a leading question, but would any of you, I would not, so I'm going to flip this out there. Would any of you recommend this as the first book you were to read if you were to start reading Age of Sigmar background lore? No, I don't think so. 
Um, but only because I have a handful of books in my back pocket that like are near and dear to my heart. And maybe I can't even see past the idea that maybe even those books aren't the best book, books to read first, but I'd still <laughs> recommend them anyways. Uh, so maybe I'm blinded by my own affections. I, I mean, I think it's going to depend on the person. Like if, if this is covering some factions that they're already interested in, then, then maybe, uh, I'm going to totally retread ground that we, we have already done and say that I, like my first recommendation for somebody is a, is probably a short story to, you know, really just get that first taste. Um, cause it's less daunting than the, than the full length novel. But, uh, this would be up there if, if I thought somebody was getting started with dominion, um, I would certainly, you know, loan them a copy. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be the first book that I would have them read, uh, but it's not something that I regret having read, if that makes sense. So I'm not negative about the book, but it's, yeah, it that's basically my opinion, if that's fair. <laughs> sure. Um, and just minorly to add on to that, um, I think it's a book of, of like good ideas, like maybe like granularly, like individually uh, f full of, of, of neat ideas and some different uh, interesting set pieces uh, and locales and like situations that the characters find themselves in. Um, sometimes I hard, had a hard time getting from point A to point B um, in sort of like the interstitial spaces in between those uh, interesting ideas or places. So that's one, one thought. I, I guess I, I'm still thinking about what Davey just said about um, like retreading of ground. Yeah, I did find, you're right, like sort of it, it took time. And I guess that's the point of this book, right? Is It is supposed to be a jumping on point or at least a jumping on point for the AOS 3.0. And so in doing so, it, its job is to like reacquaint you with interactions between, you know, you know, Stormcast and humans and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, and I hadn't put my finger on it, but no, I agree that um, it, I, as Aaron, who does a podcast on, you know, books in uh, the Age of Sigmar, didn't need that, but I can see why it would be necessary for other individuals. So honestly, in some ways, maybe this book isn't, wasn't really for me, uh, but it was for those uh, folks who want to sort of want, want an on-ramp into this new new world that we're being exposed to. Um, maybe I wanted different things out of, out of this book that I didn't necessarily get, but we'll, we'll probably talk about that uh, later. Um, any initial spoiler three th spoiler free thoughts before we spoil the spoil the heck out of this thing just top to bottom head to toe let's just spoil it let's do it let's just mm -hmm. ruin it for everyone all right um do we say spoiler phase in a funny yeah. voice I do it for me <laughs> spoiler phase <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's, that's great i was gonna make a joke about let's stop being coy and talk about why you're talking about goldfish but you know uh, that works let, much better oh man much better that recording is now permanently etched into the internet <laughs> and uh, I will have it forever and I'll treasure it and I listen to it every night before I go to bed. All right. So let's start at the beginning, which is a very good place to start. I think Davey had mentioned earlier in the episode that we do not, in fact, start right in Excelsis, but we start in the wilds of Gur. Wilds. I'm going to interject real quick to say that, uh, I started by reading this mm -hmm. and then switched to an audiobook. And every once in a while, if I was in a spot where I couldn't listen to it, I would. So I had a little bit of a, a combo audio and uh, reading uh, experience with this. I'd say it was about 85% audio. Hmm. Okay. I and we will keep that in mind and see how it colors your opinion. Just out of curiosity. So, Aaron, did you read this from front to beginning? I did uh, read it uh, on my phone. Um, while on vacation with my in-laws, 
which is zoned dynamic in that, first of all, they thought I was just being antisocial, like just on my phone the whole time. And so it was my job to let them know that I was reading a book. But then what do you do? They say, what book are you reading? And I don't want to tell them what book I'm reading. And so like, (laughs) it's a delicate dance uh, with these people. I really want to see Aaron doing a delicate dance. Like that is in my head right now. (laughs) Joke's on you. Every dance I do is delicate. Um, So it's a pair, it's a brother-sister combo in the wilds of Burr. It doesn't start and, out as a brother-sister combo. It starts out with a father-brother-sister combo. Okay, true. So <laughs> this is actually one of my big things. Like, this was a brutal beginning to a novel. Yeah, true. I, I was just like, oh, oh my goodness. This is how we're starting this novel. Is that you are literally, um, they're, they're running, right? Um, they are people who are from the realms themselves. So they are the reclaimed. They're a family of Gurites that are running to Excelsis for safety. Um, and it is a father and a brother and sister. And they're running through the fields. And the father is just like, keep going, keep going. And they they need to make it to a river. And the brother and the sister make it to a river. And then an orc pops up, stabs the father in the chest. And with his dying breath is like just go just leave right um so the first thought that i had when reading this book was this felt very much like the first aos novel that i read which was talking about um the action running from the chaos corn um tribesmen for their life as they're just falling apart from exhaustion and people drop back and they can't go retrieve them and then the stormcats show up that that was just an immensely strong resonance with me on the first part of this book i had that same connection one thing i didn't want to gloss over here uh two two things i guess uh one is that they're being chased by traditional oryx like big bellowing brutes uh and they're getting run ragged but the the orc that stabs their father is playing dead like uh and so this is our first glimpse at oryx that operate in a different uh in a different manner and he he survives that initial he's actually already he's already shot a pursuing oryx uh right through each eye um and then he stabs this one in the in the neck with a with another arrow and it gurgles and falls but he gets them to get onto a bridge and then he cuts the ropes of it so that uh people can't that the um, greenskins can't follow across the bridge, and you know yeah, he's he's lost in the process. Um, my little bit of an objection here is like it, this almost takes me a little bit out of out of this kind of story. Is like this guy's a hunter, and yeah, uh, but he shoots this. You know, he's he's already like exhausted. Shoots this orc in the eye like once. He'd be like, oh, that was pretty lucky, and it doesn't go down. And then he shoots it in the eye again. I'm like, that that is like an impossible shot not just one but like two of them like not everyone needs to be like a superhero you know i i I don't know i was a little that that's it it's such a small thing but it bothers me a little bit but i did i did i thought it'd be a a stronger scene if if you know he winged it and it couldn't run so fast or something and they still got to the bridge and he he cut it anyway point being brother and sister are on the other side of this river escape and he's telling them to get to excelsis make something of yourself like you have a life you can live you know, uh, and that his, his inspiring 
speech is actually cut short because he is uh, overtaken by orcs who cut him down. No, I, that, that's a fair, fair statement, Davey. Orcs are just typically described as beady-eyed, and so to be able to hit them in two eyes seems very superhero-y. Um, well, a- anything in an eye. Like, it doesn't matter if your eye is like, you know, I don't know, an inch across or an inch and a half across. Like, that is an incredibly small thing to hit on a moving target. I don't know. We're, we're talking way more about this than we need to, but yeah, that's... Well, but this is actually something I want to come back when we talk about the end of the book, because this scene is very interesting to me in light of what happens for the rest of the book. Um, but needless to say, the brother and sister make it across the river, they cut the bridge, as you say, and they make it into Excelsis. Then we start with the main storyline of the book, as it were. Uh, yeah, they, so they make it to Excelsis, fast forward a bunch of years, right? So they're, they're kids in this uh, initial prologue, but uh, when next we see them, or at least one of them, um, the boy, Nixar, am I saying that right? Nixar, that seems right. Um, that. Is, uh, is in Excelsis, living his life, and this, this life is, apparently he's some sort of bodyguard, or you know, something of that ilk, and he's watching, he's over, like, he's, he's supervising, he's watching from afar this, this conversation that a, um, I guess, bedraggled uh, woman is having with a dock worker, and yada, 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 they're, they're doing some negotiations while he's sort of keeping an eye out on things, but then his uh, a, a woman, a free guild guard rolls up and intervenes and the, uh, the, the negotiation or the transaction is thrown into disarray. Um, the dock worker is like killed. Uh, the, um, the, what ends, what we find, I'm going to use the word witch because that's what we sort of determined what she is. She's this weird, uh, unique, uh, individual. She's a non-traditional character. Yeah. Um, obviously has some latent magic ability of some sort. Um, and also not represented in miniature form that I could figure out for Age of Sigmar. Well, that's so never stopped you before. That's absolutely correct. I actually literally have a miniature in mind for who Osella would be. Um, but it, that makes her an interesting character immediately for me because she's a new thing, right? Like Nixar seems like a, a tough, right? Seems like some kind of like, you know, bully boy. Um, but the, the like really, a wannabe tough. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. Um, The actual fascinating thing about this scene for me is the way that he described Excelsis. I absolutely adored it because he set the scene very much of like, all right, we are after Kragnos and this city has been through so much. And the way he describes it is that they are in the edges of the city and is constantly under these like earthquakes um, just tremors, the city itself feels like it's about to fall apart, right? Like it feels like something is going to happen to make the city tear apart. And so we have Nixar um, paying attention and trying to be a bodyguard for this character of Osella as literally the world falls apart around him. Um, and I, I, the scene setting for this was brilliant. And I, I absolutely loved it. It sold me on the first half of the book instantly. Uh, yeah and not only have we been in excelsis before but we've been in this spot before they're in the veins right yep oh yeah that's true the veins yeah um he talks about like cracks opening up and there's worms writhing like right under the right under the uh and all that sort of thing like uh you guys having read all the way through broken realms is that a thing do we know what that is what's going on there well, we know that the realm gate for Gur is in a massive worm, right? 
And when we were in Spear of Shadows, there was a city that was on top of one of these realm worms. Um, so I assumed that it was some facsimile or spawn thereof. Um, since they've been established that those have been something that is in Gur. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't make that connection, but that's true. Like the, there are worm motifs, uh, throughout Gur. So this is definitely not the first time we've seen, <laughs> these are completely different worms, but like worm, uh, also, images. Also in, uh, Pestilence novel, if you want to read more about moving worm city things. And who doesn't? You made a connection with me now, Davey. So um, when you were Uh talking about how we were in the veins before, we were in the veins in City of Secrets, if I'm not mistaken, right? And when we were in the veins in City of Secrets, this was a scene of a massive betrayal. So now actually thinking about the scene from the perspective of we've been here before in Black Library novels – and watching this interaction between Nixar and Osella explains why I was like, what, what is going on? And like, this can't end well, feeling that I had, because we do have that. Osella is talking with Sailor, as you said, um, the Sailor ends up getting killed. Um, and, and we do have this kind of betrayal, this kind of failure of trust. That's actually a really nice setting um, to start out this novel with, um, as far as the main storyline is considered. I hadn't considered that before. Uh, it's, I mean, the best novels start with betrayal. You're right. I mean, what a great, what a great place to start. Um, but what, maybe what makes the betrayal, and maybe it's not worse, but what we find out this free guild guard or this free guilder who's sort of, who's interjected in this, uh, into this scene turns out to be Nixar's sister. So whereas he ended up, um, making, making a life for himself, quote unquote, as this, as this tough as Paul put it, uh, she, uh, Zagora, as I don't know. Um, she uh, was rising through the ranks of, of, of the Free Guild Guard. Oh man, I didn't write down the term. There's there's a regiment there. Some, Phoenix Company. Phoenix Company. There you go. Uh, which, if we haven't seen the Phoenix Company specifically before, I feel like phoenixes are a motif in the Free Guild that we hear about every once in a while. That's not the only reveal here. It turns out the. Uh the uh, dock worker that she shot has big old gnarly zinch tattoos on him. It doesn't call it out uh, specifically as zinch, but it talks about like a serpentine tattoo that changes and writhes when looked upon. So yeah, which which makes sense because like if if you're going to be aligned with chaos and excelsis, you're probably matched up with one of two. Uh, you know, chaos gods, which is to say the zinch forces that sort of initially uh, ran. Uh, put the town through the ringer um, through City of Secrets and, and that whole stretch. And then more recently, there's the Slanesh presence. Um, so uh, it was going to be one of those two. In fact, chances are if you meet somebody on the street, they're probably in one of those two cults. And it just so happens that this dock, well, dock worker was a, was a Zinchian dude, as we found out, which it doesn't paint the the witch lady Osella, which is her name, in the greatest light. So if she's if she doing deals with uh, Chaos versus What's her deal? Can she be trusted? What's her story? Yeah. We'll What's find out. On? I, for one, don't trust her. And apparently neither does uh, the sister, Zagora. Uh, and, and Zagora is really um, here to protect Nixar, right? Like, she's kind of watching out for him being his guardian angel, as it were, and being like, what exactly are you doing here? Like, this is this is terrible. Do you know, by the way, that they're actually doing purges in the city right now, right? Uh, so they talk about how the Order of Azir 
well, not necessarily specifically the Order of Azir, but people who are acting on behalf of the Order of Azir are going and rooting out betrayers and uh, chaos cultists, etc. Right? And also everyone else. I mean, that's their goal, but like that doesn't by no means are they, are their actions limited to those groups of people. I, I don't think it's um, unfair or too specific to say that this very much seems like we're in the situation of an inquisition. This has already been established by the Nullstone Brotherhood in Kragnos. Um, so we're continuing that theme that we've had in Broken Realms of people who are looking to purify the city from the taints of chaos, who are looking to um, persecute anyone who has this magical ability or who might seem to be a witch of some sort, right? And, th- and this is a this is an attitude that is, uh, if not explicitly encouraged, then encouraged by example by the uh, the storm host that uh, has has been stationed here, and that would be the Knights Excelsior. The Knights Excelsior. Yeah, famous for their uh, sort of the overzealous. Like if if we killed ninety nine innocents to get one traitor, then it was worth it. You know. Mm-hmm. They're led by the White Reaper, right? Which kind of tells you all you need to know about the Stormhost. Broke a chain doing stuff like that. So to Paul's point, she, while she being the sister of Zagora, watching over her brother, Nixar, uh, what are you doing here? What's the deal? He's, he sort of uh, spills the beans, so to speak. Uh, he's been guarding this Osella for a while now. Like they have a, they have a, they have a, a business relationship. And she's been paying him not in money per se, but more of a barter system where she just gives him cool, like neat trinkets and items and maybe other uh, mm, occult objects. Who's to say, right? Um, and so he's been squirreling them away uh, in his apartment um, with the hopes to be able to sell them one day because the dude's deep in debt. Um, he's he's not he's not in a good place uh, financially currently, and these uh i don't know the goods that he gets from a seller are, are his ticket to um you know digging his way out of uh out of, out of debt and apparently like the, i don't know he just needs one big just one more it's not one more score he's not doing a heist but like he just needs one more thing and then, then he'll be set you know he'll be set um uh for life this very much seems like nixar is an easy mark right oh i mean i i feel like uh he has the way he uh, thinks about his get rich quick schemes are the same way I think about like my painting slash whatever <laughs> projects where I'm like, Oh, I've got this amazing idea and I'm not going to quite follow through with it because like to follow through with it will be to find out that it's not going to live up to the reality of what I want it to be. Uh, and so he's got all these like, you know, they, they later end up in, in his room and he's like pointing out all these different things like, yeah, like that thing that's worth a ton. All I have to do is like, you know, find somebody who uh likes to walk backwards at midnight or you know whatever the case may be like and he just hasn't quite figured out how to pull the trigger on any of these uh these schemes you 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 have wounded me davy because i was literally today thinking about all the models that i have and being like i could totally make a dong bringer crusade army out of all of these models and i got to like a thousand points in my head and was like i just have no idea what to do what's going on but i can't get rid of any of these models because they're so cool and they could make a really awesome army Sorry for the aside. Go ahead. Oh man, no. who would who would hoard a bunch of armies and models? That's ridiculous. Oh, you have a problem. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I do. I do have a problem. Um, the the sister says this stuff is no bueno. Like, uh, you, you, we got to get rid of this stuff. Um, and I can't remember if it's 
specifically right like while they're talking i don't know it, 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 no one expects the inquisition right because boom boom nobody boom, expects up. the El- excelsis inquisition i, I mean you, i didn't expect that that's for sure uh <laughs> they're, they're they they basically roll up uh nixar has been <laughs> implicated in the uh in the acela chaos dock worker uh transaction and he, they've they've got a, a a bounty on his head or a warrant uh warrant for his arrest they're coming for him so did, I, did we know specifically that he has actually been implicated or is this more of just like something is happening near him oh is that what it was guilt they were I, just going I, through door to door like they were that was going- my impression but i don't know if that was an incorrect impression what do you what do you think davy i think that uh it, it does leave it vague um I think he's in this position where he's like, they're probably here for me. They might not be, but if they are, like if if they are, and I guess uh, I gamble on them not being here for me, uh, then I'm totally screwed. Uh, and so I, I've got to assume that they're here for me, and we got to get out of here. I think the the possibility that they're there for him uh, is is uh, the consequences of that being the case are it's too extreme, too dire. Uh, and I think this, uh, this was actually a pretty decent writing like the, uh, and maybe it was some, uh, Richard Reed was the narrator, um, which should have mentioned earlier. He, he did a great job. Like I really felt kind of panicked in this, like we got to get out and we got to get out now and we are running out of time. I completely agree. And, and, and what you really got the feeling of here was it wasn't just Nick Starr being like, I have all this stuff and I'm going to end up in a, end up in a bad place. Right. What you got the feeling of was he was like. I'm going to take my sister down with me and like, I've done some pretty stupid things and that's my fault. Right. But taking my sister down with me, that's not okay. Right. Like I, I definitely got a feeling that he had a family bond to his sister and she felt like she was doing what she was supposed to be doing. And he was definitely not doing what he was supposed to. And the worst thing that he could have done was take her down with him. And she was very much just like, this should not be here to begin with. And I don't want to lose you. Um, that was that was what I got from this scene, which is is fantastic writing, as, as you said, Davey. Like it, it really captured a really good brother sister dynamic, even when one person is on the wrong side of the tracks, um, and the other person is really trying to do what's best for her. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I was going to talk about the sibling relationship at this point too. It's it's at this part of the book where I really believed and like was. I don't want to say moved, but like attached to the sibling, like uh, dynamic between the two of them, which I don't know. At some point, <laughs> I feel like I lost some of that later in the book, but like right now is where it's really good. I, I, I found so I liked this uh, this stretch here. Um, so they are able to escape. They put, throw all his items into a sack or something. And they escape to the roofs or something of that nature, uh, and they book it down to the harbor. Uh, where uh, they need basically they, they, there's no time or it's too dangerous to try and actually like um, fence any of this stuff. So to the bottom of the sea is where most of it goes, not all of it, because um, this uh, Zagora, uh, they discuss this like glimmering that um, Nixar has and a glimmering for those who don't know is a, like a chip of the spear of malice, which it itself is a piece of the old world that sort of hovers above uh, the harbor of Excelsis, and so you can chip off pieces of it. And these glimmerlings give individuals um, little prophecies, little small little little glimpses of the future of of things that 
probably will come to pass or may come to pass or may not come to pass is tough to say. Um, and so th- these sort of serve as a currency in town. Um, it, it's really what puts Excelsis on the map is this, is this, are these glimmerlings that come from the spear. And this was also a really nice touch for me as far as like when this book was set, because they were able to go down to the Harbor and they were able to dump all this stuff and nobody was watching them, which I felt like was actually a really good callback to the fact that the Scourge fleet privateers had left because of the, the things that happened during Kragnos, right? Like they could find a place in the Harbor where nobody was. And I felt like that was a really nice little callback to the fact that there had just been a war here. So it was, it was a little thing, but I really appreciated it. The piece that I liked was, uh, it wasn't just like, well, let's throw all this stuff in the water. Like that's that way it can't be found. It was, uh, it says there's no quick way to destroy this stuff. So I'm going to make an offering to Ozol, like O Z O L. Oh, that's right. Uh, some old Thondian deity. So I, I like that even, even in when he's got to throw stuff away, he's like, I mean, maybe there's still a little bit of get rich quick here. Like if, if I say that this is an offering instead of just me throwing, throwing it in the water, like maybe, maybe it's cool. Maybe I'll still get some return on my investment here. So it's a throwaway moment, throwaway line, but I thought it was, I thought it was a, a, you know, a little bit of word world building snuck in there, which was cool. Well, and I'll just say that that's cool. This just reminds me of the fact that like these two actually are, like you said, they're reclaimed. They're, they're, they're like OG Thondians, right? And so although that although they live in Excelsis, probably surrounded by all sorts of Azerians who've come and like moved here, like they still have an, an affection towards, uh, you know, those old gods that would be a hallmark of those, uh, you know, native residents of the realms. So that's pretty cool. I just really enjoyed the phrase OG Thondians. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> Everything I say is fantastic. All right. So, um, but... Uh, Zagora, she touches uh, the glimmerling, uh, and her like what her, her eyes roll back, roll into the back of her head, and she has this super intense vision, uh, despite the fact that like Nixar was handling it himself and to, to like no effect, right? And so, uh, the gist is, whoa, this is what what we thought was a broken glimmerling. Apparently, uh, d- it does have power, does have prophecy baked into it, but Zagora is the only one who can see it. What? Um, well, I guess, man, that's, I'm jumping ahead because we don't necessarily know that now. Um, but it becomes clear as the pair move on to taking this glimmerling to uh, the experts, right? So I would like to make a point to you that at this point, right, the story the story started out with father, son, daughter, right? And then moved on to brother and sister. Um, but at this point, this is where we start to get like the supernatural, as it were, right? We start to get actually the fantasy into it. At this point, everything starts to take on a little bit more of a deeper meaning. And it starts to actually include more than just the characters that we're talking about. Um, it has more of an, more than an immediate effect on the plot. Um, and so we're starting to see i think at this point that these characters are going to have more of an effect than just who they are in a strictly natural sense if that makes sense the the scope begins to widen correct um, a bit and then and then we move to the prophesier calibus which this is also something i really enjoyed um so apparently in Excelsis, uh, there is this job title, vocation, who knows what to describe it, called a prophesier. Um, and this was a, an awesome detail that I really appreciated. A prophesier is somebody who 
takes these glimmerlings that are mined from the Spear of Malice and decides whether or not they are worth anything. Uh, it, it describes him as having like basically a very priestly attitude to him. And then he has this uh, little second that goes and rides some kind of bicycle-type contraption in order to power this prophecy machine, which I just thought was like a super cool like charlatan effect of, all right, we're going to take this glimmerling, and you place this glimmerling in this tray. And if everything goes to plan, right, I will understand what is going on in the future. It was a very snake oil salesman um, setup for what's going on. And uh, so Zagora places the glimmerling in the the receptacle and the prophesier says, useless. It is worth nothing. Uh, so this this is worth uh, mentioning. Uh, the narration on the audiobook was pretty great here because he's, you know, it's this very uh, kind of portly guy is doing the, uh, doing the prophesizing. And, uh, you know, he's like, uh, weather prediction, you know, going, but then when this comes up, like the, the way he's like fake and then like, moves on. She's like, no, test it again. goes again, fake and like move along. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I love it. Like it felt, it felt gritty and dirty and uh, also funny at the same time. I, awesome. I got a kick out of this scene uh, on the audio. I, I got a kick out of it reading it too. It was, it was, yeah, like I said, it was very snake oil salesman. Um, but then Aaron, what happens? Uh, she doesn't take no for an answer because she knows that she's seen something through it. And so while the glimmerling's in the like the machine, does she, does she I don't know, she reaches out and touches it or, or or something because her her connection to the glimmer, like when she touches the thing, um, it throws the machine for a loop. Like it it revs it up, it goes wild. She has her, her prediction, uh, all to the amazement, uh not prediction, she has her, you know, prophecy, she has the vision, all to the amazement of uh, this prophesizer who is baffled by what he's seen, right? Like, uh, I think they say something, the fact that it's not, it's not impossible for a, a glimmerling to only be affected by one person, but I think it's a, a rarity. Um, and he realizes that like, Oh, I mean, like it literally, like it, it, it I think it breaks his, his, his little mm-hmm. bike like machine thing there. Just a surge of power. And then all of a sudden, like the kid on the bike can't even keep up to how much power is being generated by the immensity of this prophecy yeah yeah so he decides all right so there is something to this uh might be uh let's uh let's bring it to the guild the i don't know the prophesizer guild um and let's give this a, pro- a proper look-see uh and so then they change that he leads them to his, their i don't know his headquarters or wherever the the it's like a big like temple or you know big government building type uh space uh where um they can uh, get get to the bottom of what what the deal is with this with this glimmerling, and uh, so I, I very much got the fact the idea that we've moved from somebody who is immensely low on the totem pole, right? Like he's still a prophesizer, but he's a really bad prophesizer that's been sent to the poorest part of town because he's just not very good at what he does. But he still has the talent in some sense. I don't know if that's overstating it a little bit. I, I just got the sense that, you know, you got to work your way up or whatever. Like, I I don't know that he was bad at his job, but just not yet high on the totem pole. But when we moved to Nico, like, they're talking about this place that they go to. And it's just this immense place of grandeur that, that just exudes power, right? Um, and so they go to this place and to even, like, be able to talk with Nico – seems like it's a process 
for the original prophesizer, right? Like Calibus is like, I, I got to talk to this person. And he, he's like, try, people try to put him off and be like, oh, she's too busy. She's too important. Who are you to like actually talk to her? And he's like, no, this is a big deal, right? And so Zagora is like, this is important, right? Like I've touched this. I felt the immensity of this prophecy. I think this is an important thing that we haven't quite uh, talked about is that Zagora all of a sudden has this purpose of this is important. I have re- I have understood this revelation and this revelation is serious and this revelation is personal and I need to give this revelation to someone who can do something with it, right? As opposed to Nixar, who's just like, what have I done? Right? Like, this is my glimmerling, right? Number one. So why can she get something out of it that I can't? Right? But why are we going to the place where I get in the most trouble? And so when they actually are able to talk to Nico, they're like, okay, well, Zagora, we need to take you with us because you activate this glimmerling and this is a big deal. But Nico turns to Nixar and is like, well, who are you? And he doesn't tell the truth because he's so scared of the repercussions of what he has done because he's still like, I got this from so-and-so. Like, this is the provenance of this thing is so murky. And I don't even want to be associated with this Ocella character anymore. So it's really important that they don't actually know, know who I am. And so Nico is like, oh, well, if you're not important, then you need to leave. Because this is only for people who are actually involved with this. So you can go ahead and leave, right? It, it's interesting because Nixar is uh, trying to sh- strike this delicate balance, maybe even like he's dancing, uh, because he's torn. Because like he obviously doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't want to admit to who he is, and he can't explain sort of the backstory behind this glimmerling. However, he also wants to get paid, um, and so, like, how, how is he going to? Yeah, how, how is he going to get? How is he going to navigate this to somehow uh, discover the importance of this glimmerling, but at the same time, incognito, but then also get and get that dollar dollar bills, y'all. Um, dollar dollar but, bills, y'all. But at the end result is he he's unable to navigate that, and like Paul said, given that he's not able to sort of prove his importance to this process, uh, they give him the boot. Um, and he's essentially has to he has to fend for himself for a, a bit while trying to evade guards and witch hunters and you know sort of around the region. Um, whether or not they're looking for him specifically, he doesn't know. But he's very much in a paranoid state. Um, yeah. And so like he's he's left to sort of wonder what happens next. What's going to happen to my sister? Are they going to ask questions? Um, is, is it going to point back to me? Yeah. This is another thing that I really appreciated was. He's torn between the fact that I'm going to get caught, right? Like they're going to figure out what happened. They're going to figure out that I stole this or bartered this, right? And this really isn't mine. And the fact that, but that's my sister, right? Like I've put her in this situation. I gave her that thing. And so he tries to stay within a local area so that when she comes out, he can talk to her and figure out what, what do we do next, right? Like, even in this, this state of absolute paranoia, he's still like, but I have a responsibility to my sister because this is who we are. This is who we're defined by. But he gets to a point where he's just like, I, I can't even stay here. And he just runs away, right? Like it is a very much a betrayal of who he thinks he is that he runs away and he just keeps running and he runs back to the veins, right? And 
at this point, we don't know what's actually happened to the Zagora, but we do know what happened um, with Nixar because Nixar just goes and gets drunk because he is just absolutely certain that he has killed his sister. The one thing, the one good thing in his life, he has consigned her to death because of the poor choices that he made. Well, he's probably got that blessing from that ocean god too, right? So like it's yeah. not the only thing he is. Uh, Davey, what did you what did you think about this area of the book? Um, I mean, I, you felt confident that he probably was not uh, not correct that she was going to pop out of it in some way or another, um, and so that took a little bit of the tension away from this moment. Um, but it, it did describe him kind of going on a bender and uh, paranoid. It was it was kind of like a little bit of a more more than a tension moment. It was more of a like help you understand the character of Nixar uh, better. Um, so he goes on his bender, uh, but eventually he musters the courage to like, I don't know, again, try and find out more about what happened to his sister perhaps. And I'm trying to think he, he wanders into a large procession or a large, um, what would the word be? I want to say fair, but um, like, a, it's not a mob of people, like a, a big, like a parade uh, gathering of, of individuals and, 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 in fervorous support of Sigmar. Um, Does he recognize the company that his sister served with? Oh, yeah. That's how he maybe follows them. Uh, uh, Davey, uh, if you can correct me, please do. Yeah, he, he does. He uh, he spots his, and he's like, oh, maybe they know, starts tagging along. And he's like feeling, you know, feeling bad. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you, you know, like they know something that he doesn't. But then, you know, the kind of chaos of the moment gets swept up and so he doesn't get the explanation right away but it's clear that they're like you know they're not mourning her they don't seem to be like oh no you know where is zagora gone so uh unsurprisingly his take on the situation is uh it seems to be inaccurate uh but they're like hey you know there's a there's a big shindig big to do going on uh they're getting ready for a crusade here so uh and he gets caught up in this big crowd watching and then uh among other people, uh, there are, the stage has priests and potentates and, uh, uh, some storm cast up there specifically from the hammers, Sigmar chapter, uh, not chapter hammers, a Sigmar chamber, um, decked out in their gold. And then he sees his sister with shaved head and fancy armor. And, uh, she is, uh, being referred to as the Dawnbringer, this, uh, big important person as part of the crusade. Uh, because of some visions she's had, and we know where those visions came from. Yeah. Uh, so when they introduced this area, uh, this setting, right? Like, I got immensely strong. This is a callback to an old miniature range, but in Mordheim, they had a faction called the Sisters of Sigmar, and they had a character in the Sisters of Sigmar called an Augur. And the characteristic of the auger was that she had shaved her head except for a ponytail. And she was surrounded by these other sisters of Sigmar who were these warrior priests, um, warrior priestesses of great renown. I thought it would be funny if you just stopped like her only characteristic was that she shaved her head and has a ponytail. <laughs> I could. I mean, that's fair. That's allowed. Um, so uh, when they they get to the place – where the Phoenix Company is going, um, I, I got these really strong vibes from Mordheim 
um, from this scene, which was cool because I have all these miniatures and I could like look through my head and be like, oh, that's the guy with the, you know, the shaved head. And this is the guy with the banner pole, et cetera. Um, but it basically what they what they reveal finally um, is that there's a big deal going on and the Phoenix company is embarking with this big deal. And the reason why the Phoenix Company is coming is because Zagora is in the middle of this massive procession, surrounded by all these people that Nixar has no idea who they are. So as he's surrounded by familiar faces, he sees his sister surrounded by people he has no understanding of. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say this is an important chapter, an important scene, because I think this is maybe the first introduction that we as readers, this is like the first steps of a Dombringer crusade, right? And this is... Like I said earlier in the episode, a, a tent pole for what like this AOS 3.0 storyline is going to be, and so this is the originations, the uh, the 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 seed from which these crusades crusades sort of grow, uh, and what what a scene we have, right? It's 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 chock full of these. Um, what what is the sub faction that went away? Is it just devoted to Sigmar? I guess, but like the flag right? It's it's the mm-hmm. it's the it's the energy. It's the it's the um, fervor. Um, it, it's a palpable, like almost physical uh, vibe uh, to this mm-hmm. crowd. And I feel like he did a pretty good job of sort of expressing that here. And mm-hmm. he's sort of caught up, and it's very mo- it's a very mob mentality. Well, it's also the warrior priests as well, right? Like we, it's not just the the flagellants, but we also have the warrior priests. We have the faithful of Sigmar, right? The human faithful, not the not the Stormcast, but those ordinary normal people who truly have this like vision and vocation of Sigmar is my God and I will do what he asks me to do. And intermixed with those very faithful, devoted individuals are like the the drunks and like the the people who are just <laughs> caught up in the movement, caught up in the, and just and like being with the crowd and is time goes on we sort of see them trickle away and they come to their senses and they they sort of the uh they lose the the fervor as time goes on yeah they talk about these crusades like if you if you embark on one of these crusades like all your sins are forgiven and so it has this weird thing of like everyone's like oh man i'm about to go on this crusade i'm gonna do whatever i want because guess what i'm gonna get forgiven (laughs) Uh, so there's like all this like wild debauchery on the way in uh to the crusade like man that is, it, it really, uh, it's kind of like an unintended consequences thing. And you also wonder, like, you know, it, we'll talk about this more, but there's this this whole back and forth with faith. And faith is a sort of different in this world. Like, you you're you can literally go and talk to your God, you know, if you yep. are high enough on the totem pole. So uh, faith kind of has a different meaning here. Yeah, they, they've talked uh, about how... Um, in, in, Sig- in the age of Sigmar, there are no atheists, right? You know, your God is real, right? You may not trust that God. You not, may not want that God, right? But you know, your God is real. There are no atheists in age of Sigmar. You, yeah. You may not, you may not think that your God is watching. And so I think that, I think that's where faith comes in is like, is your God paying attention or are the things you're being told like this whole forgiveness thing? Like, do you buy that? Or is that just something that some like priests are like, Hey, you know, it'll get us some more folks. Yeah. Well, and, and what I love is not only when they talk about it here in Dominion, but they talk about it in the core book as well. They have this thing called the coin malleus, right? Um, and we could 
go down the rabbit hole of historical context, but we can just simplify it by saying that the coin malleus is this thing that allows you to be freed from whatever it is that you have done in the past, right? It is this purifying mark. It is this certificate of holiness who, you know, whatever term that you use to describe this, where it doesn't matter who you were before. If you have sworn yourself to go on a Dawnbringer crusade, you are now a hero of Sigmar and nobody can chase you for anything that you have done before because you are literally sacrificing your life for the greater good of the mortal realms, right? There's a very strong, and I thought this was really well done as well uh, in this chapter, is that he did a really good job of describing that anything that you do can be forgiven, which is why we have this like bacchanalia of volunteers before they actually leave for the crusade, because I can do anything. I have no limits to what will be forgiven. I have no limits to what will be ignored. So, of course, we can do whatever we want to the night before because basically it's just a massive frat party. And tomorrow I'm going to get this coin and it doesn't matter. Right? That that was very much the understanding of what I got. Would you agree with that, Davey? Yeah, I mean, that, that that's a take I got. I, and I think they did a good job of capturing this sort of uh, chaos of the moment, like the the fervor and I know the sort of duality of the whole situation. Well, I'll just say the coins are also really cool. The ones they gave you for pre order in the Dominion <laughs> box. Um, but let's let's get going. We've been we've been hanging well, out here for too long. Um, but I think the interesting thing here is that Nixar is actually not sold on this whole idea, right? He's not sold that he's actually going to go on this crusade, and he's also not sold on the whole idea that this like coin malleus will actually make him go away. But he does have this burden on him of all these debts and everything else going on. But as he listens to the speeches, as he listens to the roll call of all the names of the people that will be going on this Dawnbringer crusade, he gets caught up in the fervor, right? He gets caught up in the idea that they are doing something that is actually worthwhile. Um, And he agrees to go on this Dawnbringer crusade with his sister, as the person who is the visionary leading. Yeah. I mean, he's all, like, I got the impression more that he, he, he didn't get caught up in the, the, the pomp and circumstance of this, but rather um, it, it's just almost solely because of the, of the sister. He basically tells her, he's like, the prophecy that you have is going to kill you. Like it's, it's, it's incredibly dangerous out there. Stay here. Like, don't, don't go do this. And so she goes into the whole, uh, warrior priest uh they know they need me uh signar is calling to me this is important i gotta go and like you i think we said earlier just that that strength of the bond between the two of them he says all right well i guess i have to go to uh the chain will not be broken which apparently yeah, is i think a this is a, chain. more of a startling change for him than it is for us because he knows her well we don't actually know her all that well uh it does seem like there's some significant character change here for her like it doesn't sound like she was not that she was, you know, uh, dismissive of the gods before, but she wasn't anywhere near this sort of like, uh, I'm ride or die for Sigmar sort of thing before. So um, I, I think he's struggling to come to terms with that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I like, agree with that. She's, she's, he would, he, not that it's an act, but like he, he, he remarks on like the difference that has overcome her. And then when he says the chain will not be broken, she becomes his sister again. 
uh, and like sort of lets down that guard or what have you, and um, the chain will not be broken. It's a very touch, very touching moment. Um, but we go from here. I think we cut. We change. We change perspectives, you guys. So much, if not all, of this has been from the perspective of Nixar. But he's not the only character. He's definitely not on the cover of this book. Um, but rather, we do. If you were worried, we do get uh, some some Stormcast point of view. One of which is uh, for or from the Knight Arcanum Aurulos Aurulos Um and he's of the uh, Hammers of Sigmar. I can't remember what. Anvil Hearts. Oh, the Anvil Hearts. So the host is, yeah, host is the uh, Hammers of Sigmar. Oh, sure. there. yeah. So he's he's riding the storm. That's how we. That's how we're introduced to this guy. Uh, and I hope I hope you listeners, I hope you readers like riding the storm because that's what this guy does a lot in this book. <laughs> um, I don't know that I've gotten this storm. Yeah, that's good. Okay, that's uh, good. I, I won't even charge you a. I won't even charge you a dollar. Um, but have we gotten this? <laughs> um, I would. What, what's the word for what this is? This this ability. This I don't know. Outlook from other stormcasts because this guy's like always in the storm, like constantly. Um, and I feel like this is the first time I've read something like this coming from a stormcast. It, it very much seems like he is caught into this. I'm not even sure how to describe it, but like into Like a limbo space. between two worlds. Correct. Yep. That's a great description. And that like he has a hard time uh, like seeing and experiencing like real life, but like he's got this like, th- I don't know, thunder vision that he uh, can get, I don't know, uh, impressions from like the things that are in the physical space, but then also his his brain's like miles away at the same time. He's getting visions. He, Sigmar's talking to him. It's lightning all over the place. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. Ha, Paul, I stole it from you. Um, <laughs> it It's it's wild. And so on more than one occasion, like someone else has to bring him back to earth, so to speak. And oftentimes it's this, uh, his his night vexler, uh, Skyborn. I got I, I to gotta steal something from you now. So you're going to like, uh, Thunder Vision, TM, 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 TM. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and I wonder if this is maybe a feature of the fact that our, our loss has been reforged a bunch of times. And so, like, we spend a little bit of time in his head and through conversations with the other Stormcast that we find that this guy, this isn't this guy's first rodeo. He's been reforged a bunch of times, so much so that, like, he's losing a lot of himself, as we know Stormcast do when they've been reforged a lot. So I wonder if maybe this is a, a reforging feature and or bug um, that, like, he's always in this thunder vision tm 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 i i think uh you know i think it'll be interesting when the uh age or when the um uh, stormcast uh battle tome comes out i it may this may be a characteristic of the knight arcanum um that they are in this situation well and i think there's also a couple of interesting things here um this is where we start to encounter the models that are in the box set uh as characters in this book right um, and we have the Knight Arcanum, Aurelos, who is male. But in the box set, the Knight Arcanum is a female figure. Um, and I, I think this actually becomes a salient point as we get more into the book. Um, so I, I, so this is kind of esoteric and a little bit of an aside from the actual discussion of the novel. So I apologize, but, um, I get the feeling that this book was written before we knew what the models looked like. And I think that defined a little bit of how the model, how the novel feels. Um, 
So there's nothing wrong with having a male figure instead of a female figure for the Knight Arcanum. Um, but it is, it is definitely a difference from the starter set. Um, but I, I did enjoy his characterization because I agree. It felt like he was torn between two worlds and he has this kind of spirit sight, I think would be a fair way of stating it, um, of what's supposed to be happening versus what is actually happening. Yeah. I wonder, well, I, I wonder if these aren't necessarily supposed to be specifically the folks that are in, in the box per se, in the same way that the Soul Wars novel wasn't specifically the models that were in the box there. Now that's a little different because in the Soul Wars novel, it did have the characters in that book. They were just sort of secondary characters. Um, so I wonder if this is an example. However, with the first like starter set box for AOS 1.0, those were the models in the story. And like it was Vandis Hammerhand and Corgus Cole. So who knows? I mean, you can't, you can't trust GW to do anything consistently. Um, so, well, it, but the, it's, it's, the second box set for Soul Wars, like it was very much the characters, right? Like the Knight of Shrouds was actually the character that betrayed. Oh, I was focusing on the Stormcast. Uh, yep. Maybe, but yeah. So but, who's to say? Yeah. Um, so uh, we spent some time. It's it's Stormcast on Stormcast action where basically they chat and we're introduced. Basically, it's an introduction to these characters. Uh, we, we find out that um, this uh, group of the Amble Hearts um, are going to be tasked with escorting the crusade to this prophesized locations out in the wild of, of Gur. Uh, but from there, they're going to leave the defense of the lo- of the, you know, the settlement that they're going to create out there to the Knights Excelsior. And they're going to move on to help break the siege, um, being led by Indrash- Indrasta, uh, who is the angel winged, uh, stormcast, uh, in the box. So at the very least we know, we know who she is, right? She's named, she's a real person. Um, and so we can, see that that is the motivating getting to that siege is the motivating factors. The siege of Delium, um, is the, the, is the strong motivator, uh, for this group. They, they're willing to put in this, you know, this, this, this minor, uh, uh, distraction, the sidebar, uh, in order to, uh, then move to the, you know, the, the, the glory that will be, uh, aiding Andrasta and her, in her, her is this something I missed? Do we know anything about this siege from outside sources or, if I were b- better at my job of podcasting, I would have done more research about it. I thought about it, but I didn't. Uh, I'm not sure. Sounds so difficult. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. You hear my clickety clacking? Oh. hear my clickety clacking? Oh, yeah, I, I got a clickety clackety too. Uh, so Delium was actually a historical battle during the Peloponnesian War. It was fought <laughs> that must by be they mean. Oh, the Athenians and the Beosh- the Boeotians. Uh, who were allies of the Spartans and ended the siege of Delium in the following weeks. Interesting. Awesome. I, I, I have to assume that there's some actual intention to understand what's going on here, but I have none for context. Yeah, uh, so it's I don't, maybe it has something to do with the Amber something something uh, book that came in the extremist box or no in the Dominion. No, box. it does not. Because I read oh, that. Good. Okay. You, so. you are not you are not remiss in not reading that. Uh, so, all right. Well, listener out there who's screaming at the, uh, <laughs> at their device right now, uh, scream at us over email and let us know what we missed or Twitter or Twitter or discord. discord. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the places. Dis- Discord's well, best. Yeah. Lots of cool people on Discord. I mean, I there are lots of cool people. Lots of friends of the show. Um, the, the, 
the very strong feeling I got from the Stormcast was a very clerk's feeling, right? Like, of, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Of like, oh, well, I, I, I guess we're supposed to be with these people because they're going from the same place that we're going from to the place that relatively where we're going to. Um, I got a very much strong well, feeling. When, of, when someone asks, when, when someone asks, like, am I the only one who thinks this like you know you see that all the time like am i the only one who finds these stormcast cool or am i the only one who finds these new stormcast too skinny or whatever the case may be i think if you said am i the only one who read this book and drew a connection to clerks <laughs> i think that'd be the rare occasion where i would say yes you are fair. the only one fair all right this is my personal opinion i absolve aaron and davy from any responsibility for my opinion my name's on the podcast. I have some responsibility for your opinion. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, Aaron sorry. more so than I'm me sorry. because he could always yeah. edit your opinion out. Like, if you're hearing this, it means he let it go through. Yeah, I'm it's so, so on sorry. Him, 25%. Yeah, 15%. All right. So, um, then it, it's <laughs> they leave um, the knight arcanum to his his thunder thoughts. Uh, and we switched. <laughs> Basically, this is just a, this is a, a method to introduce us to these characters. Um, but we fast forward three days into the crusade, which is fine. But I would have maybe a little liked a little bit like a, more of what like the preparation looks like. Like, you know, get, get, I'm, I'm here for the the deets. Tell me, tell me the details, the minutia of this stuff. Um, but no, we 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 fast forward three days into our march. Apparently. They've been marching day and night. Crusades are not a a leisure stroll through the the wilds of Gur. No, they've got a places to be. Literally, because it's been prophesized that they're going to get to you know point X uh, by time Y, uh, all coming from this Glimmerling who whose visions are being interpreted by uh, Zagora, and so they're moving at this breakneck speed because they they need to to fulfill the prophecy. Despite uh, I think no one really being happy about it. I don't know if you can blame them. Yeah. Uh, the only kind of ancillary details that we receive at this point is that they are a force that is moving through the wilderness. Um, they are towing these metaliths, um, which are basically floating islands that are uh, shackled to these massive beasts of Gur that give them forward momentum. Uh, they're only... Yeah, they, they were gold tusks? Gee. Yeah. What was it written as? G U L L Tusk, or what? Because because I only heard it spoken and it kept sounding like Gore Tusk to me. I'm like, that sounds really coronate. I should look that up, and I feel like I did, and it was a a gold tusk. A gall. I didn't see that much of you. Gall. G A L L. Okay. All right. All right. So we we get the feeling of a a procession, right? Like it is a very religious. based motivation for what's going on. Um, there are some understanding of people peeling off and being like, okay, I've got my coin Malleus. I'm just going to go back to Excelsis and we'll deal with whatever it is that's going on there. Right? Like the, the intention though, is that they're going to go out into the wilderness and found this city. Um, but as you're saying, there is some kind of timeline that they are tied to of we're supposed to get here by a certain point, And then we're supposed to get here by a certain point. But they don't have an outline written. It's literally just, we've got Zagora revealing these truths uh, one after the other after they come into these difficulties for understanding of what's happening. The, the scene opens up where they've, they're actually starting to set up camp uh, three days out into the, into the crusade. Um, 
we're introduced to a fair number of sort of ancillary characters that, you know, additional crusaders or, or folks that are going to contribute to the uh, founding of this new city. So there's a, an Ironwell Duarden, um, Colgrim Cragson, who is like a like a cogsmith type uh, Duarden who's, who's, who was basically commissioned to build the keep. And so he's, his goal is to, you know, outshine all of his peers and make the strongest and best um, keep, the, the Ar- Ardent Keep, Argent Keep. One of the two, um, and so that that's his you know his life goal is to uh, to build the city. There's a handful of free guilders that are part of the Phoenix Company, basically you know um, Segura's old friends or you know compatriots, um, and then also uh, we're introduced to this high priestess Chiana, who is also this holy figure, just the devout follower of Sigmar, who is always like hovering around Zagora. Basically, she's like her advisor, um, her guide, because like Zagora isn't necessarily used to this, you know, newfound uh, exposure to Sigmar's will. Um, and in some ways, sort of a gatekeeper to access uh, to Zagora. And I mean, that leads to some butting of heads later in the story. One other thing I'll bring up is uh, throughout this travel, even, you know, even within three days of the city, uh, the, the Crusaders have noticed that, actually, there's two things I want to bring up. Uh, they've noticed that there's a bunch of, like, dead jellyfish all over the ground. You would think that would be weird, and I guess they think it's weird, too. But what, you're in the, you're in Gur, you're in the moral realms, a dream world of magic. Sometimes the ground's covered in je- jellyfish. There's something you got to come yeah, to terms with. Somebody's like, yeah, there were some super gnarly storms. They might have thrown these, you know, miles from the sea. You're like, yeah. Yeah, okay, sure. That, that tracks. Um I went out of order because what I, the other thing I was going to bring up is one of the the vibes you get from this crusade is it's very much a mixture of uh, social strata in that you've got these folks who are basically trying to find a better life outside of Excelsis, um, whether they're, you know, running away from debts or crimes or what have you, or literally they're just looking to eke out an existence, you know, where they can make something of themselves, make something of themselves, sort of flanked or uh, accompanied by these, uh, the, the, the rich and powerful, those, uh, folks who have already made something of themselves and are sort of venturing out to, uh, cement their power, um, have positions of, of influence in these new cities. And so it's uh, folks riding demigriffs and, and, um, you know, in their pristine armor. And it's this juxtaposition, juxtaposition between this two different sort of class of individuals all brought together as uh, part of this crusade. Um, you see a lot of that. Here. And I, I will only quibble with your, uh, mention of, uh, having made something of themselves, uh, in that you, because this theme comes up a couple of times, but like some of these nobles, they're just kind of born into it, right? Like that's, it's not that they, but yeah, so you're you're you are correct the phrase wasn't appropriate there um and then yada 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 this is where i talk about the jellyfish which is maybe a more a better segue as to what happens because uh night falls everybody's exhausted they've been marching for you know at, at double time to to get to this location but they finally they were supposed to get here within three days they got here within three days um and they're setting up camp but then the screams start Zagora starts freaking out she's like something is wrong like, this is not what's supposed to be going on. Something is wrong, and I don't know what it is that's wrong. Right? And then the jellyfish rise up and start just like... So, I mean... <laughs> is that, a, is that a, a line you'd ever think you'd say? And then no, the jellyfish rise absolutely up. absolutely not, right? Like, but like... So we're using the jellyfish, right? But basically what it is, is that... Post-apocalyptic Paul, you know, sitting, sitting and telling, <laughs> you know... 
around the generations. Fire. He's yeah. he's there with his eye patch and yeah, he's got a wind up radio, and I'm like listening to yeah. the Mortal Realm. That was the day like, the jellyfish rose up. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if jellyfish is absolutely accurate, but very much of uh, a, a, a great synopsis of what actually is happening is they they had been talking about hiking through this morass of the marsh. But the reason that it was so tiring is because they're walking across these bodies uh, with these tentacles and very much, very much jellyfish shape. And as they hit the night, all of a sudden they start like flying off of the ground and into the soldiers, into the Dawnbringers and just start consuming them from the outside in. It's a, it, it was a very confusing <laughs> uh, uh, stage setting for sure. Um, but basically there is just mass panic. Everybody was setting up the camp and be like, all right, we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing. And then people just start dying from these jellyfish. And then you're like, okay, well, the jellyfish are the threat, right? This is the big bad that we're going to have to deal with right now. All right, let's see where this is going. But then Aaron, what happens? Who who then shows up? But a you know the the ground starts to rumble and like they're like oh what what's next after you know some of them had escaped to like higher ground where the jellyfish hadn't like gotten to yet. Um, the the ground starts rumbling and like I don't know where a giant giant kraken shows up and it sounds like I'm being dismissive about the edit but like even in the story it's so very like uh, supplemental that like oh we're dealing with all these jellyfish that's so scary oh by the way a kraken too um, and so it Unleash starts the kraken. Starts yeah. tentacling people, wrapping them up, and you know, shoving folks into his maw. And so you think, all right, well, that's got to be it. Nope, just kidding. Um, there's boom, 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 more uh, the earth shakes and more pounding footsteps, and then like a gargan shows up, and it's it's you know stomping on folks. He was attracted by the screams and the you know the the destruction being wrought by all these what one might think nautical monsters. Um, and uh, it's basically an, an S show. Uh, from the word go, <laughs> everyone's running around, j- j- climbing rocks and stuff, trying to escape. Jellyfish are like literally rocketing up and like piercing people's like hearts and like eating their hearts out of their bodies, um, as jellyfish are known to do. I mean, we all know that that's a classic jellyfish. Yeah, um, absolutely. I don't know a lot about jellyfish. I live in the Midwest. Um, so uh, <laughs> you got it. I, I was on a cruise yeah. ship, and jellyfish are like so. When you go through a cloud of jellyfish, it's just everywhere. Right, mm. you look down to the ocean, and there is just pink spots everywhere you can imagine. It's it's just this uh, pervasive swarm. No, thank you. Um, and so, Paul, you said this was confusing earlier. In my notes, I had written down that it was all very confusing. I had a hard time tracking what was uh, occurring here, uh, which I suppose the 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 characters probably had a hard time uh, tracking things as well. So, I guess I was in good company. Um, progresses from here the stormcast realize uh we got to do something uh our, i think it's Arulos uh is able to trick the giant uh titans the kraken and the i think presumably mega gargant uh into fighting each other uh they smack each other in the head a few times i think the kraken gets the worst of it and tries to flee but the gargant tries to chase it um and the everyone all the survivors have essentially gotten to the higher ground and are out of range of the jellyfish. And so that's the solution to that problem. So I've Apparently they're nocturnal. For you too. Hit me. Don't literally hit me. Is this a har kraken? 
is this something that we have from the Caridon Overlords background? Or is this a new thing? I don't know. It's weird that it's here. The whole scene's weird, honestly. Um, I, I think it's new. I, I think a hard kraken is skyborne, right? So I, I think this is I think this is the idea that like all this all these sea creatures are here and um and so is this, you know, the little guys and the big guy. Yeah. So I got a very War of the Worlds vibe from this, right? Like you just got this massive um being with the tentacles that are flailing everywhere. Um, and the mega garden kind of comes and saves the day and runs off um, through Aurelos' help, right? Classic mega gardens always saving the day. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, isn't this where one of the metalists start to have issues? Well, I think yeah, the kraken smashes it up, or you know, yeah, to the to the dismay of everyone, and discover that like there's there's dudes that have been riding the metal at the whole time. I'm like, yeah. Oh, like sweet gig. There's guys who had to like walk day and night for three days. And there's other people who've just been like, floating on top island. of the metal. like, yeah, that seems, that seems like a good job right up until like you fall to your death because uh, <laughs> squid started, yeah. started eating the, the bottom of your metal and just breaks it up. So like they lose a third of their supplies and mm-hmm. it's, uh, the, the cogsmith is losing his mind. Cause like, yeah. Oh, I'd need all that stone. And, uh, sort of thing and people are like the crusade's over it's done mm-hmm. like we we can't go on yeah well so colgram cragson is the the cogsmith right and it, it's at this point where it's revealed that the reason that they have the metalists is they have this like prefabricated construction material that they have prepared in order to build the settlement when they get to where they're supposed to be going um and they only have three medalists, and one of them has gone missing. And so they have this massive discussion of, should we even keep going? Because this is what we needed, right? This, this is what we planned for. We planned for three medalists. We had planned for all the materials that we have. And um, it is – there's also this uh, theme at this point, which I think is revealed, is that Cragson is like, this is going to be my crowning glory, right? Like this is going to be the story that I tell to my beardlings of this is the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. I, I think this was actually really well written where he talks about the Dongbringer Crusades, not just as this like massive religious quest, but to the warden, right? Like it is, it is the epitome of his ability to create, his ability to conquer the realms. Right. And we start to see Zagora in a little bit more of a light of like, I'm not 100% sure in everything that's going on. Right. When she runs to the camp and she's like, something is wrong, you realize that although there's been this very confident, very straightforward discussion of what's actually going on, at this point, we realize that she's not all that confident in exactly what's going on. And perhaps she's being manipulated slightly by Chiana. Yeah, she's got a lot of expectations to love, live up to um, that, you know, she's not always necessarily confident in her ability to do so. Um, I was talking before about how I felt confused a little bit in this scene, but now I'm reflecting a little bit. Um, at some point, they had mentioned that they'd gotten this three-day march at, like, double speed uh, without any real, like, objection or, like, you know, uh, adversity uh, from the 
from Gur, which is rare. They they didn't expect that. They were surprised. But I wonder if some of that is because of like these uh, jellyfish are sitting out here, and they themselves are sort of like have kept this area safe because no no monster you know no other creatures of Gur are going to wander into this area because the jellyfish are the threat, which then calls to mind the idea that Gur is the realm of beasts. It's, it's the realm of um, survival of the fittest. It's survive. It's the realm of like predatory. Uh, creatures and that doesn't always mean the biggest and the baddest but rather it it means those who are suited to you know preying on others um and so uh i think the scene does do a good job of sort of highlighting the the dangers of of gur and that like sometimes you just roll up in the field of jellyfish that are going to try and eat your hearts and you're going to get a random kraken <laughs> and a random mega garden wandering into your camp and this this is just par for the course you shouldn't be surprised um it's just life yeah it's just yeah. life um this is life in gur not to be confused with the rama life uh, speaking of not being surprised like i uh i did have a little bit of a problem with like the planners on this crusade like you didn't build any redundancy like mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. that seems like you were you were a single point failure and i know i know like your point of failure is apparently like a huge metal floating island but like man you got to do better like yeah stuff's going to get ruined there's going to be unexpected it is amateur hour here yeah well well and- i thought there was maybe a little bit of redundancy because that's why they decided to keep going right is that like well right. we can so it does it does turn out to be that way yeah but but that enough people were like we're, we're totally doomed. Uh, and it took a lot of talking to be like, I guess we could keep going. Maybe it's because they were only three days away. If, if we've lost this much and we're only three days away. So, you know, maybe that's more, more of what it was. Well, then. I think to me the dichotomy of what the characters are discussing and how we're going to move forward and what we understood as the reader is that at no point to this point did we understand that the metaliths are actually the resources for what's going on. There might have been some, like, you know, small discussion of these are important, right? But if the metaliths are the important thing, why didn't they try and get them to the rocks when the jellyfish were attacking? Right? Because the actual narrative itself was all about, like, people are dying, and we need to make sure that people aren't dying, so we need to get them to the rocks, right? Well, I think the gall, gall tusks were not, uh, apparently the gall tusks were able to survive this. And if you were mm-hmm. high enough on the metalith, you're all right. So I think it was a, I don't want to die. Metalith seems fine. I'll get to the rock. And Paul, right. the real resources are human resources. Are the friends we made along don't, the way. Don't you know? Um, <laughs> so the crusade uh, does decide to press on at first light. Um so they are able to continue on. I think there were some folks who peeled off and, and headed back to Excelsis or tried to head back to Excelsis. I'm sure they didn't make it. This is Gert and fat chance of that. Um, so uh, we fast forward a little bit. The, the crusade travels on. Um, at some point, we find out that Acela is with the crusade, that crazy witch lady. Uh, she's back and she's made her presence known. Um, but Nixar is like, I don't. I don't know if I need to be hanging out with you. Like she, she thinks that they have this bond, this important relationship. And he's like, Oh, I don't, it's like, I'm trying to get away from this crazy lady. I don't know that I need to be seen with her, especially cause like his goal here is to like reinvent himself a little bit. So there's that drama. Um, I'd agree with that because I think Osella narratively represents his connection to his past. Right. I don't, I don't think mm. there's, I think it's a very obvious slap in the face of like, look, this is his connection to his past. And he's like, I've given up everything that I am. Audiobook note, she is uh, narrated with a Russian accent. Oh, I, I hope so. That's, that's a good touch. Ooh, that's nice. I like that. Um, 
for our Russian listeners. But uh, do we have Russian listeners? Oh my gosh! Now I have to check. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. I'll be back in a bit. Back in seven minutes. Um, because he's taken the coin Malleus, right? Like he has decided that he has he is done with everything that's in his past. And Osella represents a very vivid and spectacular reconnection with that past itself. So we move forward the next dawn and we come to five Russian downloads in the past 30 days. Guaranteed. Perfect job. Actually representing what's going on here. I love it. Carry on. Keep going. Dosvidanya, my dudes. Dosvidanya. We move on to this river, um, which has also been seen by Zagora. And we've decided that this is the river that is going to get us to where we need to be for this Dawnbringer crusade. So they roll up on this river and somehow, despite not being all that far out from, uh, cause they, yeah, they're like, uh, it, this, this river is how they could get faster or get, get to where they need in time to meet the prophecy. Uh, and Colgrim can make some cool rafts apparently. But they get there and they're like, oh, snap, this river isn't water. It is like weird predatory silverfish or something. For folks who don't know what silverfish are, they're not fish, but like it's weird centipede things. Yeah, they're weird, like segmented. They usually like eat uh, books. They like the starch in books or something. Oh, I, don't know. I didn't know maybe that. I'm making that. I had a lot of them in my college apartments like all the time, mm. which maybe says something gross. about me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it it is a river full of uh, silverfish, but like big ones, uh, and this is actually pretty fun, right? Like this is a this is a very like we're in the mortal realms. Here's something you know. Didn't think about this, did you? You know, like a, a river no, in the, I the realm of metal might be molten metal. I did not think of a river just being like a huge stream of bugs. And you know, maybe if you think too hard about it, like you might run into some logistical or logical uh problems with it but it was uh i was there for it It was cool i'm down um and they got to figure out how to make some rafts so they're they're there and they are specifically trying to get these rafts done before dark so all these crusaders who hiked a long way and then had to be in a big fight and now had to walk again real fast now they're being like pushed to the limit to build these rafts but they do it and they hop aboard now they're sailing on a sea of bugs uh, my only contribution would be that that's that that's if the, that's not enough drama for us. That's not enough enough conflict. Not only are they under the the clock where they have to build these rafts. Uh, what's that across the river? But there's a whole bunch of other Excelsians. There's another crusade under attack. What do we do? Do we build our rafts? Do we save this other crusade? What do we, uh, what are our options? How do we how do we choose? Moral quandary. Uh, but. When you have a moral quandary, a moral predicament, um, who better to solve it than a bunch of heartless, uh, multi-reforged <laughs> uh, stormcasts who say, "Don't worry, you guys build the build the rafts. We'll 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 solve this, you know, orc uh, crusade problem across the river." And so they march out, uh, and um, they are they're nothing if not effective. Uh, Aurelos uh, decides to save these people by. Uh, making a beeline for the orc leader, uh, killing him, and then proceeding to drop a cliff on most everybody. And uh, through the turmoil, through the um, through the the chaos that uh, that follows, not 
not Age of Sigmar chaos, but just regular chaos. Um, it attracts all sorts of uh, gurian beasts who then clear up the whole mess. Uh, uh, you know, the orcs go mad. They turn on each other. Uh, Gur, the wilds of Gur turns on everyone. Um, and the Stormcats just sort of walk away. Don't even look at the destruction that they brought sort of with a few uh, survivors in tow, um, dusting their hands saying, problem solved. Let's keep going. And everyone else is sort of mortified. Like, what did you just do? Like you, you left it worse than when, than when you got there. But he's like, yeah, yeah, but we needed to move quickly. And that's how you solve a problem quickly. Keep going. And so they, uh, bring in some new survivors in tow, hop on the boats and sail away, um, having to grapple with, you know, the the destruction that they just sort of left behind. In a nutshell, that's how I describe it. Yeah, I mean, it uh, it creates a conflict point between uh, specifically Zagora and Arulos. Like, she's like, you said you were going to take care of the situation. You let all those people die. What are we out here for if we're just going to let people die? It's like, uh, I took care of the situation. I did totally what I said I was going to do. I said I was going to take care of the orcs. I didn't say I was going to save everybody. Uh, anyway, let's move along. You had a prophecy, right? Let's let's make that thing happen. I got to be at this siege. Taps his wristwatch. I did that. I was doing that physically when you said it. <laughs> I, I could hear it. So, <laughs> and, then, and he's like, hey, plus, I did save some people. Total bonus, lady. Cool your jets. Um, look, look at these guys that I saved. And the, the thing is, Arlos, um, I don't know if we've described it at this point or really talked about it that much, but he's not 100% sure that he knows what he knows, right? Like, we've got Segura, and she's started to give us some, like, kind of like, oh, I told you to come here and to be safe. Crap, I know it's not safe. I'm freaking out, right? But Orlos has gotten some of the same idea, and he's like, all right, we have to go to Delium. We have to go and help Yndrasta. But he's in conflict because he's like, but I feel like this like Zagora character is somebody that I'm supposed to actually help, but I don't understand. And there's been some kind of like back and forth between him and the Vexilor of like, we're supposed to go to Delium, but but this is kind of important right now. We're supposed to do this too, right? Which is why he went to go and try and quote save the people, um, because he's not 100 percent sure exactly what's going to be going on either. Um, it's, it's a really interesting exploration of faith from Zagora's perspective of a completely unfiltered Chiara says, this is what's happening. And this is what Zagora says to experiencing Orlos's ambivalence about what's going on and trying to figure out what Sigmar is trying to tell him right now. Yeah. So we've got a, 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 sure. a dynamic here from the fact that the crusade is very much on board of Zagora knows what's going on and we're totally going to do this. But we have a first person perspective from Orlo saying, yeah, I think we're supposed to be doing this right now, but I'm not 100% sure. And so we've got this tension between the Stormcast not being sure, which is not what we usually have for a perspective from the Stormcast. And the Free Guild being like, we know exactly what's going on. So that that's tension that we've kind of explored a little bit in this novel. Speaking of Stormcast tension... The next chapter switches gears entirely, and we're thrown back to Excelsis uh, to spend some time with some characters that we have not seen, and then we will not see again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, this this is one of those audiobook moments where I was like, after a couple minutes, I was like, hold on, let me back up. I don't know who any of these people are. Like, <laughs> did I miss something? And like, had to get back, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to know this. Okay, carry on. Mm -hmm. Well, how could you not know the High Arbiter Arun Biz Bizak? 
uh, who's the High Arbiter of Excelsis, and Lord Celestin Volk, who is the White Angel Celestin of the Knights Excelsior. Uh, basically, the Arbiter receives a letter, or maybe multiple letters, that like the Crusades are not going well. They're failing all over the place, and they need, I mean, they're just, the, the Wilds of Gert are, are taking them or overwhelming them um and the question is how do we how do we save them what do we do about this um but then volk uh speaking on behalf of the knights excelsior basically tells um tough luck uh excelsis is the 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 jewel of this region of thondia and like our job is to defend it here. We have to defend the walls. It's all right. We're, we're beset by enemies on, on all sides. We don't have the resources, or even if we did, we ain't going to use them to go out and save those crusade, crusades. Uh, they're on their own, which we know as readers um, that those crusades were expecting are like relying on this uh, relief to come from the nice Excelsior. The whole idea is that the, the Anvil Hearts are going to be leaving the crusade that we've been following because the Knights Excelsior is supposed to go lend a hand. And so now there's that disconnect. The Knights Excelsior have no intention of going out there and saving them. And so what does that mean for uh, Nixar and Zagora's uh, crusade? Only time will tell. And by that, I mean only this podcast will tell. You, the listener. Uh, that I suppose that little chapter, I suppose, helps. Like it's necessary for context, though it was, like Davey said, a little jarring to like jump right into it and then yet again never to revisit it again. But let's go back to this cool river. Um, I it's I felt like I was it, like the you know the new Jungle Cruise movie, right? I assume this is what it's all about: a river full of uh, weird bugs. The Crusade is able to use their rafts to, I'm, I'm going to put successfully in quotes uh, down this river, as they're constantly battling against the the, the bugs that are able to jump on, you know, up, up on deck while they're sort of pound, pound, pounding down below uh, against the hole. But it's been strong enough that they can't pierce it from that direction. But still, um, everyone's sort of locked in battle with the those that are able to, like, jump over the sides and they're, you know, smashing bugs and bugs are biting people's heads off. It's wild. I, so much. I'll bring it up now, but it really became clear over the course of this book. How many crusaders did they have? Because so many people have died, even up until this point. Like, where are these getting? Where are they getting these people from? Um, it seems like they have an unlimited supply of uh, citizen red shirts, essentially. Um, one raft, two raft, three rafts are able to make it to shore and like drag themselves up, um, and and they're able to sort of escape this river once they reach the bank of you know where they're headed. But of course, the raft that all the main characters are on um, starts to get overrun. Um, I think this is also I think when we lose one another metal if there's something um, like it, it goes veering off into parts unknown. Um, but uh, this, the Stormcast are smashing bugs. Um, the the Free Guild are doing what they can. It seems like, uh, for whatever reason, this raft <laughs> isn't going to make it. Uh, but Aurelos is sh- shooting lightning bolts, lightning bolts. He's like, well, how, how am I going to, how are we going to get out of this? Um, but he looks and, and hears a song emanating from Zagora. And it, it turns out that they're, they're, you know, praying via song to Sigmar. And it's through this, um, devotion that they're smashing bugs and also paddling and, and, and driving the, the raft faster and faster to, uh, escape these, um, you know, the, this river of bugs. And they are able to, you know, through, by the skin of their teeth, um, get to the shoreline and the boat is saved. And, uh, Aurelis is like, oh, he, he referenced, he, he calls out the fact that, you know, you guys were singing that song and they're like, well, no, there was no, there was no song. We were just doing what we could to survive. And, um, you're left to sort of wonder, like, was Aurelos 
hearing things? Was it some weird thunder vision that he was having? Um, I'm not exactly sure what thunder vision. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want, I want to record that one too. That's going to be a sound, <laughs> sound effect. Um, so I'm not clear if anything really came of that. I mean, throughout the whole book, we get, we, we are under the impression that Aurelos is battling with like his multiple reforgings. And so like it, how, how it's messing with his mind and this might, might've been another example of, you know, him hearkening back to to times that he can't remember but uh yeah well so there is actually a a little kind of like mental examination that arlos goes through later on where he realizes that the song that he hears is actually a song that he remembers from his life right not his stormcast life but from before he was a stormcast And so he starts to like actually question what's going on because he's not supposed to be able to remember, right? Part of his thunder vision is that he's not supposed to have these memories of who he was before because he's supposed to be communing with Sigmar. So this starts to actually gnaw at his um, his certainty of what's going on for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a bunch of rainbow birds show up and they clean the character's armor, I guess. Oh, yeah. No need to, like a, no need to uh, focus on that. An official thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with with the Arulos, though, like this is an interesting thing where uh, disconnect with your past uh, is a feature, not a bug, right? Like it's, it's specifically for him, perhaps. But then you wonder how much that like actually goes on to other stormcast um so uh there's some discussion of that like is it's is it's good that he can't remember that's how it's supposed to be but uh now he's it some of those things are starting to break down a little bit and is that going to be a problem moving forward yeah all right so we made it to the uh we made it to the end of the river this is essentially where they were headed to there's this there's this tour at at the end you know at the at the end that they've now reached and this was the, their destination all along apparently it's this location where a bunch of ley lines intersect maybe all the ley lines intersect i don't know it's tough to say um and so their first order of business is setting up defenses so that they can defend this place and so they can they start pulling resources down from the metalith and uh like it, it's amazing it's baffling how quickly they're able to start building some of this stuff um but it is by design right it's 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 a it's a outpost in in a box sort of thing and they uh are building up their defenses around this tour around the ma- magic uh ley lines and uh they construct these statues like three of them i want to say that are holding these sort of energy sources that i think are pulling energy um from these ley lines and those are going to be like sort of the magical defenses of this place so this is actually a cool intersection with the miniatures here um so the intent is to build something called a nexus siphon um, which is actually the globular uh, terrain piece that oh, we get yeah, okay. in um, the latest starter set that was revealed. Um, it's not Stormstrike. Extremist starter set. Extremist, exactly. So Extremist has this four-pillared globe with a little ball of energy inside of it. And that is labeled specifically as a Nexus Siphon. So this is the first thing that is intended to go into a new settlement for a Dawnbringer Crusade. And we have four faces on the sides of this Nexus Siphon that are intended to help channel that energy. And then we have these uh, 
uh, statues uh, with a little shield and a spear. And my understanding is that those are the four statues or the three statues that we have in this Argent Keep settlement that we are attempting to build. Um, so this was a really cool intersection of the plot of the novel and the reality of the miniatures that I really appreciated. Um, the The box set is intended, Extremist is intended to help us to build our own like Dawnbringer crusade as far as the terrain is concerned. And this is a great job of the novel to embody that idea into uh, fiction, which I, I, I really appreciate it for sure. Yeah. So uh, they construct these statues um, that have like, you know, glow, like glowing energies in their chest. Um, but it turns out they, they need to get their defenses up quick because uh, it's dangerous in Gar, and you're not just under threat from, uh, wild beasts and creatures of that sort, but apparently you're also under threat from the undead. And yeah, uh, when, when they're when they're setting up, they are they talk about following the both the decree Sigmaris, which is like here's how you set it up, like here's the here's the instructions for your prefab, but also trying to follow uh, <laughs> Zagora's vision and. Yeah. Uh, the whole time, uh, Nixar has been eyeballing, uh, eyeballing uh, Cragson, being like, "Hey, you know," because uh, he, he's gotten in good with uh, Corporal Haxor, um, who's super elite and nice. Uh, I was thinking it. They, <laughs> well, I mean, I heard it and I was like, "That can't be how it's written." And then I looked and I'm like, huh? "That's it. Almost is." It is. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, they're like, hey, you know, this is the guy who's going to build it. But if he's going to lay out where everything's going to be, like, that's how you can get in. And so part of his get rich scheme is to get in good with Cragson. And he kind of leverages, hey, I know Zagora. And he's like, well, I can't talk to her. Like, I've, I've been trying to talk to her to figure out where I'm supposed to put this. Like, which way is the energy? What, where did her vision say that this is going to be? Like, this is, this is a problem for me. I want to move forward, but I don't know. And he's like, oh, uh, and then he's like, uh, oh, Cragson and crucially says, maybe it doesn't matter. And then Nixar is like, oh, well, maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, I could just make up anything. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was there uh, when she was interpreting her visions and I definitely helped her. And you definitely need to face West and like ends up answering a bunch of other questions. And I was like, man, this is this is crazy. This guy is just like gambling that it doesn't matter he might be screwing everything up uh, but yeah uh but then they they get it set up right they uh they get everything online that all this energy glows and uh cragson's like oh yeah you did it you know like we're awesome like we this is going to be great it says all oh, it's going to scare all the beasts away but you know it doesn't scare away uh, is the night haunt yeah it's Cycle, cycle back to Aaron. Uh, uh, the undead. Uh, they don't. They don't get scared. They do the scaring. Um, just as a pause, how how did him making that stuff up not end up mattering? Like, how, come on, how? Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. <laughs> and also like this is the this is the start of when the the novel starts to be a little bit less believable for me because he's betraying his sister here, right? Like he's betraying the fact that he did not tell her. 
that, oh, by the way, I'm making this settlement into a specific thing, right? He's betraying the trust that she knows what's going on as well because he's just making up stuff. Like, this was a start for me of like, but, but like, you're supposed to be brother and sister and she's supposed to be the most important thing for you and you're not acting like that at this point. Does that make sense? Uh, maybe, but I think he, uh, if, if I was to take it from his perspective, I think he's probably thinking like, well, uh, like I'm going to get in good with Craigs and, and then I'm going to get rich and I'm going to like take care of myself. I'm going to buy her a new car, a new <laughs> sky vessel, you know, like I, I like I, I get the impression that he, he gets caught up in this idea of like, I'm going to, I'm going to be somebody. And when I am somebody, then everyone I care about is going to be taken care of because I'm going to be somebody and I can take care of them. Yeah. Like I, that, that's how I would. I'm, I'm going to help her by helping yeah. myself. Um, but real quick, Dar- Darius, what, come on. How does this not, how does this not come back to backfire? Like blow up in his face. Get cu- Mr. Yeah. Hanks, what are you, what are you doing? But at any rate, a bunch of banshees and there's a big old fight. Uh, it wouldn't be a Age of Sigmar book if there wasn't a uh, gratuitous uh, fight between uh, you know armies that we know and love. So, um, of course, the classic uh, the the mundane weapons are not doing any damage to the banshees, but um, the stormcasting which video. totally like what the hell like yeah <laughs> I always wonder that when I see them like how how are any of these dudes doing any damage to these? But anyway, uh, they end up seeing they see the uh, uh, the faithful the flagellant equivalents oh, yeah. are like actually smoking ghosts yep uh along with zagora and they're like oh it's because they're it's because they have faith and this is a Gotta rough point faith. for me because they're like you know what we've got faith too and then they just like started making it i was like that's all it takes man uh yeah flip well, that switch just gotta believe so like this part was relatively believable for me because the idea is that you have to have blind faith, right? Like that what you do will matter. So from a lore perspective, the Night Haunt ignore any attacks that aren't made by somebody who believes that they can actually wound them. This is explored relatively well in the Mega Gargant uh, battle tome, The Sons of Bayamot, where they have a whole story where the Gargans are attacking the Night Haunt and they're not doing any damage. And everybody's like, oh, well, crap. This is terrible. We can't defeat the Night Haunt. And then until one of the Microgargans is like, well, I can totally defeat him because, like, I am who I am. And then just starts looking at the Drakfoot clan of the Savage Orcs and is like, hey, they can, like, kill them. So I can kill them. And then they realize that they, if they just believe that they can wound them, right? And so the flight challenge was just like, well, Sigmar can do anything. So I believe in Sigmar. So therefore I can wound the night haunt right so i get it like but then like the idea that like oh because they're doing something i can do the same thing that's where it a little bit breaks down right because you have to understand why it is that the flagellants are wounding them and then to be able to somehow summon that faith that becomes a bit of a stumbling point for me because like oh well if i just believe that'll happen it'll be fine right i can just create this belief out of nothing and then everything will be great. And it turns out in the novel, of course it is, because they start to believe that they can actually do this. Yeah. And so uh, they believe that they have faith. They're able to – I wrote down that they were shooting down the Banshees with Dwarven Ballista. <laughs> and they had to concentrate them all. So there was, there was a little bit of a, 
uh, a trickery here where they concentrated all the energy that was attracting the banshees, these towers that were supposed to scare off the, the scary stuff instead of attracted it. Uh, and they attracted them all into one place and then shot a big, big old uh, cannon ballista full of arrows and shredded them all. Got them out of there. Problem solved. Get them, get them gone. And then done and no done. other issues. So we skipped chapter. So we jumped scenes a little bit. Apparently at some point, the end. many. Um, yeah. Uh, no, live, no cruel boys after all. Live, living happily ever after. Uh, so at some point, this, m- many of the Stormcast had split off um, from the cru- uh, from the crusade to well, go. Because they're still things. like, hey, we're supposed to go to Delium. Delium is our goal. This is what we're supposed to be doing, right? And so they're trying to figure out where the, the White Reaper is, where these Knights Excelsior are, because they were told that the Knights Excelsior would be where they're supposed to end up building this settlement of Sigmar. Um, so they leave half of them with the Argent Keep, and then the other half wander off to go and try and find where these Knights Excelsior are, and maybe, you know, find the Siege of Gideon, because that's what they're supposed to be doing anyway. Yeah, and so uh, they are traveling through a, a marsh, a, a mucky landscape in uh, the realm of Gur. Um, it's in, it gets really misty, very foggy, uh, but that seems to be par for the. I, I feel like most of the moral realms is foggy at some point, um, but they feel like they're getting lost. Um, but then they uh, are able to. Um, I think at this point they also hear like distant sounds. Maybe even it sounds like laughter sometimes. Uh, but they uh, uh, arrive or they find a tower basically um, amidst like a ruined ruin like it, it seems as if there was some settlement out here but it, there it's it's abandoned so maybe it's another crusade maybe it's you know some other outpost that existed out here but the tower is still standing um they're drawn to a tower like any good adventuring part or party would be what's in that tower let's check it out uh and they head inside and what do they do they look up and they see that they hear they hear the sound like movement or like life up above and at first they think it's a bunch of like livestock trapped in a net that's weird uh, but as they get closer it's not livestock or i guess it depends on how you define livestock uh but it's actually it's a net dangling from the the ceiling of this tower chock full of what presumably are the still alive citizens of this uh sort of ruined town uh, what are they doing up there, you ask? I don't know. Let's find out. Um, and so as uh, Auralis, who's leading this uh, leading this band of Stormcast, uh, gets closer to investigate, he triggers a trap. Oh, no. Down comes the net full of people. Sp- splat goes the net full of people. And uh, it turns out he just done killed um, the residents of this uh, town uh, as they have fallen from a great height. Yeah, I was like, he's not going to do this. This is not the way it's going to go down. Like, this is just too, too brutal and too unfair. That's, that's the way they went down, right? Yeah. And then I was just like, oh, crap. Oof, like, oof. this is dark, right? Like, this was, this was a super brutal way but to introduce but the cruel Oh. <laughs> right? And so, like, that's that's what they're struck by. Like, who would do such a cruel what, – what kind of boy would do such a cruel thing um, and <laughs> – and also, when you're in the wild, <laughs> one who spells it with a K. Yeah. And, and when you're in the wilds of of Gur, you're, you know the biggest threat is often orcs. But like this isn't their MO. This isn't how they operate. And so, um, I, we're kind of struck with Aurelis's, uh sort of reaction to this. Like, 
I'm trying to think how to, how to phrase it. He's already shown that he isn't necessarily a sentimental guy, right? And so to some degree, you he does, and you would expect him to like be affected by this, like hit through his actions, um, like you know, killing a bunch of innocent people. But at the same time, he doesn't react as strongly as maybe I would have thought he would have been. Um, and so like he's he's both affected by it, but like he still's got a mission. Like they still got a place to be. Um and so like that was that weird juxtaposition of like where is where on the spectrum is his humanity and does he have any sort of semblance of it left? Um, it's, it's tough to say. Uh, it's worth noting, furthermore, not everybody died immediately. There was, he had to keep the token one, like one lady alive so that she could like uh, pass on some cryptic statement about Kragnos. Right. There was a weird moment here where they're like, they, they find one alive, which I expected, you know, that or whatever, not expected, but I was like, okay, yep. That tracks like, let's, let's play this one out. But then there's a, like, he's getting ready to heal her or to, to do something to her for her so that she can, like, talk to them. And uh, Stormborn, the the um, Vexilor, the Night Vexilor, is, like, cautions him. He's like, what are you doing? And Aralos is like, a chill, my dude. Like, this is not, uh, this is not necromancy. It's healing. And I was like, what? Like, what, what was that exchange about? Like, could he have necromancied if he wanted? Uh like I, that, that was a, that was an exchange. I was like, Oh, I, this is a, what's going on here? Like, why, why is this even a conversation that they need to have? Um, but yeah, so heals her up, uh, which seems like a little almost cruel cause she gets to suffer for quite a while longer. Uh, but pass on some crucial deets, some juicy hot tips about the, the end of empires. Uh, and then, then, peace out from the story then they go and continue to live their lives um we well this is where we jump back and we we see how they solve the banshee problem how do you solve a problem like banshees uh but then scream super screaming (laughs) yeah you got it louder than they can scream um so uh this this stormcast leave the tower and are maybe they weren't in a swamp before i maybe i'm mixing mixing chapters a little bit but they're they're navigating a, yet another uh a swamp and this one has got um it's, it's an acid swamp or i mean they don't realize this right away but as they're trudging through it they look down and they see that like their their uh their sigmarite armor is smoking and like the the joints start to burn and they start to like you know rust and desiccate and it's super gross um and uh they're lost in the fog they don't know which way to go they're running around in circles their armor's burning off of them what do you do uh well if you're a wizard or if you're a knight arcanum you have a vision about your old family that you'd forgotten and that leads you to some clarity and uh you um lead your crew to safety uh by okay i'm I'm glossing over an interesting tidbit. So this whole time they've been hearing laughter in the, in the mist and in the fog. And so he comes to the conclusion that like they're being led on, they're being watched. Uh, They triggered that trap in that tower. There's some, some cognizant like crafty group out here that are leading them around by their nose. And so he's, he's not going to stand for it anymore. He's not going to fall for their tricks anymore. And so if, instead of following the sounds that they had been following before, um, he's gonna he's gonna turn around and go the opposite direction. Um, this was this was a rough moment for me, where they're like they're they're staggering around. At one point, they're like, "Oh, we've been lost for so long," and he's like, "Hold on, what's the only thing we've been navigating by?" And I was like, "Yeah, what have you been navigating by?" They're like, we've only been following the laughter. I was like, "You you what what why <laughs> why would you do that?" And then uh, so that was a uh, that was tough. And then they're like. 
well, let's go to the only place that the laughter isn't. And I was like, oh my God, like, A, why not already? B, uh, Cruel Boys, you can do better than that. Like, why, why would you leave like one spot? You know, I don't know. So uh, obviously like I, uh, I liked things about this scene. I did not like some of the details of how it came together. It's like, you guys are supposed to be Sigmar's elite and you are not living up to that right now. Enough Stormcast. Let's go back to the Ardent Keep. Um, so this is another example of Nixar making deals um, with uh, the Cocksmith. He's trying to buddy up with him. Um, here's also something that came out of left field that I did not expect. But he's, he's Nixar has agreed. I'm trying to think, why, is, why does Osella meet up with them? Because she basically just hands off this MacGuffin to him, um, which is like a claw or something of that nature that apparently can turn one material into another material, which seems like if those existed, maybe the crusade should have set out with them in their possession to begin with. Like maybe that's something you should have had. That's an alkahest is what he calls it. Um, oh, well that explains things. So this is, this very much seems like a MacGuffin, right? Which I think is a fair description of what it is, but it's the idea of, you know, the alchemist, trick right which the cogsmith is very much like kind of the alchemist in this where he could be able to create something out of nothing um and there's always the alchemist's uh, ability to create gold out of nothing right if uh if anyone wants the historical connection i I did look it up because it felt like a word that he might not have invented himself uh and it it does turn out in renaissance times there was this uh an alkahest referred to a universal solvent, which is supposed to be able to like dissolve anything else. So hmm, interesting. Uh, not not a direct one to one, but um, there is some precedent, and it does. It is like an alchemical thing. Cool. Yeah, like and that fits in very well with the idea that I had that where you could turn anything into gold, right? But like gold being a metaphor for the thing you need. Um. So of course. Osella. Not a metaphor. I need it. <laughs> Do you have Osella it? Just give it to me. Has this alkahest. Um, and we have Nixar, who's like, oh, you have this thing that I need, right? This alkahest. Well, I will promise you whatever it is that you want to get this alkahest, and then everything will be fine, right? So, uh, he gets this Elkahest to Cragson, and all of a sudden Cragson is able to do whatever it is that he wants um, with this um, forge that he has. Um, and all of a sudden everything goes from being a part of the uh, the Sigmaris decree. The, is it, What is it, Davy? I'm sorry. Uh, decree Sigmaris. The decree Sigmaris. And it starts to shift slightly into more regal, more noble ideas of what it is that the Ardent Keep is going to be. Yeah, so this like highlights uh, the Coxmas like goals, right? Like we said in the beginning, like his he he wants to be remembered. He wants to build this like impressive monumental uh, keep. You know, has to outshine any of his any of his contemporaries. And so, like, sure, he was following instructions before, but now he's got a leg up. Now he's got this advantage that nobody else has, and he can really fully realize his, you know, the, you know, his, his biggest aspirations uh, using this uh, 
MacGuffin like tool. Like the sky's the limit. I mean, he's, he's just going to turn mud to stone, um, which is literally what he does. He takes mud, turns it to stone. And so even with this MacGuffin though, and his grander plans um, result in him sort of going outside the scope of the initial uh, decree Sigmaris. Um, and we, I think later on down the line, but we start to realize that, you know, it's slowing him down a little bit. Like he's, he's not, uh, being ef- efficient and effective with his his construction, but rather he's he's sort of drawn outside the lines, so to speak. Yeah, every time he's about to finish something, he comes the, up with another idea of this amazing thing that he'd be able to build if he just had the time. So he's not finishing anything. He's just coming up with 17 new ideas and deciding to switch to those instead. I was wondering, you know, so the, the idea of an Alkahest uh, thing, like that felt... It felt possible that it was like Zinchian in nature, mm-hmm. and I think it even talks about it was it was forged in the spiral crux, but like yeah, a long time ago. Uh, but then this whole obsession thing, like that, felt kind of slaneshy. Like I kept on wondering, like, are we going to get some? It would feel out of place, and I'm glad it didn't go there because mm-hmm. uh, I don't. It's nice to have like you know temptation and failure exist and not be the fault of chaos or whatever. But yeah. um, I kept thinking that like this would fit into that kind of a storyline. Yeah. yeah. So it goes from like, Hey, this thing solved our problem to this became its own problem on its own. Well, and, and a lot of it deals with the fact that we, we kind of talked about Craigson a little bit about how he wants this to be his crowning glory of his career, but he has this other individual that he is keeping in mind as the person he has to do better than. And the Algahest just basically enables that fear that he's not going to be better than this other Dwarden. And yeah, so it, it, it is a MacGuffin. It is a thing uh, that gives him a cool ability to be able to build all this new things. Um, but I did enjoy this description, particularly for because it does represent the miniatures really well, the terrain miniatures, because none of them are fully built. And so I appreciated oh, yeah. the fact that this represented the miniature terrain that we were given. Yeah. So, you know, if you wished you had a fully built Sigmarite fort, uh, you don't blame Cragson. So, uh, so um, things are slowing down such that even the town council, like, it's on the on Cragson's case. Like, hey, man, you gotta you gotta build faster. Um, and Nixar is uh, sort of alerted to by Osella that like that art of the the alcahest or whatever that she gave him like it's 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 addicting um and it, it it'll overcome you like or you'll you'll become obsessed with the thing if you don't if you don't cool your jets and don't use it so much you you need to tell him to stop and so nixar is like oh man like let's trick him let's tell him it needs to rest or it'll overload uh and so that the greatest plan ever i'm sure this is gonna work uh rolls up to cracks and says hey man get this i forgot to tell you this is an important detail i'm just i'm just remembering it now you gotta let it rest you can't overdo it and uh it, unsurprisingly duarden says no and he keeps he kicks him out and he keeps on using it um duh, shucks that was my best chance um but uh it's <laughs> around this time that we find out that the corrupting powers of the alcahest are not the biggest concern currently as uh, something's going to rock this this keep. Mm-hmm. But before we know what that is, I think we jump back to the Stormcast for a hot second. Yeah, so the Stormcast figure out that the Cruel Boys aren't trying to actually, like, 
stop them from defeating them. They're just trying to distract them, right? And what they're trying to distract them from is the metalith. They realize if they go to the sound where there is no laughter, that there is a metalith there, and they could follow the gouges in the earth that the chains have made back to the settlement of Ardent Keep. And as they realize that, they realize that, like, okay, the fog is causing issues, the tar is causing issues, right? Like, we need to get back there as soon as possible because something is going to happen at Ardent Keep, and they're trying to keep us away from it. Um, There's some who are, like, saying, hey, like, this is a lost cause. It would have already happened. And then they kind of, they are able to logic out. They're like, look, like, up until a few moments ago, they were still, like, trying to distract us. They're still doing the laughter thing. If they still think it's important that we don't find this, that means there's still a chance that we could help. And is it also at this point where they fight, like they they fight some of them and they see a bunch of like animals in their cages, or was it like, or did they see empty cages? I can't remember the order of events here, but um, uh, yeah. So they work their way back towards uh, Ardent Keep, and uh, they can see they're like, what the hell are they doing? They're, they're, they looks like they're just like instead of attacking because they they get there and they say. Uh, from their vantage point, the Stormcast can see like the keep is not complete. The gate is, you know, potentially open and, and they are, it's blown their minds that there's a group of orcs here and they're choosing not to attack. Uh, they're, they're like, this is their chance. Like the gate is open. Uh, well, I have never heard of an orc, not like seeing an excuse to an attack and then choosing not to do so. Uh, and instead they're like, uh, tormenting animals, like very, well-adjusted individuals um and are they also starting so fires trying to make sense of that <laughs> yeah this is the part of the novel where i started to like lose a little bit of the momentum that i gained from the narrative coming here because the stormcast just keep talking about the laughter about being lost etc um it started to seem like this was an impossible foe they were only able to overcome because the narrative required them to overcome the impossible foe, if that makes sense. Uh, it, it does only in the sense that like the way they overcame it was not very sad. Like the problem that they found themselves in wasn't very satisfying in that, like, why were you following the laughter in the first place? And then the solution is to stop following the laughter. That didn't seem like a very difficult problem to solve. Uh, and so it didn't feel satisfying from the, you know, cause these guys are powerful warriors, but they're good tacticians too. And so it, it, it was that, that, I mean, that kind of harkens back to what I was talking about earlier, but yeah, I, 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 I buy that. It was, it was a moment that I found frustrating. Yeah. I, I started to get frustrated at the narrative at this point because I wanted it to move forward and it didn't. Um, but eventually we do make it to the ardent keep. We do see that we have these cages, um, and the cages are starting to be emptied. So, yeah, first first there's, like, not even cages, just animals that they're torturing. And then we get the perspective of the uh, of the individuals at the keep, and they're like, ah, oh, there's, like, a river flowing towards us. What What is that? And then they realize, like, oh, like, it's not a river. It's animals. It's, like, a bunch of herbivores and all manner of uh, sort of frenzied. It's a stampede, basically. And it's coming right for us. And, uh, and the walls there's chaos here finished. because, yeah, exactly. The walls aren't finished. Uh, everyone's instinct is to rush to the gate, which 
it's kind of a moment here where like the gate has been built so grandly that like people are getting kind of winded just trying to run up to the top of it uh and there's a big crush and it's uh and some of this is like i mean i know Cragson, you know rightly so takes a lot of the the blame for this where it's like you know uh because of his delusions of grandeur the walls are not finished but there there are commanders here that should have had a plan for like all the way along like okay if we get attacked you know and the the uh walls are not complete like they, they need to be continually adjusting their defense plan and it, it it's just total like it's a clown show uh when like people are all rushing towards the gate and then people at the top are like actually this is not where we need to be we need to cover the gaps in the wall and so they try to come down while people are still trying to come up and everyone's like shouting and pushing each other and it's like this is this is a failure of command is what this is like this is you know not just a failure of the people to build, but a failure of the people to, to plan for what happens if we get attacked before the building is complete. One of the things that's a little frustrating for me at this point is that Cragson is the crux on which everything happens. But everybody else who's helping has no agency whatsoever. If Cragson says, this is the way that you're going to go take this brick, everyone just does what he says. Even while seeing that the walls are not finished, they don't go and take those bricks to the walls. They continue to take them where Cragson tells them to. Even though it's obvious at this point in the narrative that Cragson is obviously not making good decisions. They're not trying to go and do a runaround and fix his commands. They're still trying to make him agree with them. So I, I think it's obvious to people who have some glimpse of the big picture, but I don't think that represents a lot of the people. I do, I, I, as we're talking about cracks in here, it does occur to me, uh, we missed a point that I uh, enjoyed and then was disappointed by where uh, after the second metalith goes uh, missing, he's like, we need to find that. I need that stone. I need it now. You, and he's talking to one of his sub-engineers, he's like, you, like, go get the... Uh, components for the ornithopter get that assembled and go find it yeah and i was like oh ornithopter here we go like that's cool and then uh and then somebody's like ornithopter is like yeah yeah we don't actually have that i'm just like i enjoy the idea of him like in a panic trying to find the pieces <laughs> of the ornithopter together. i was like oh you, you crushed him but you also crushed me my man like i wanted to see an ornithopter zipping around yeah. Uh, so basically, when everything starts to go down, the walls aren't finished, right? Um, as you said, they have this immensely grand gate, and then these animals start to stampede, and everyone seems to have this dart in their side or some kind of wound of the same color, the same idea, uh, and people are trying to fight the stampede, which... In Gur, seems a little illogical to begin with, right? Why, why are you trying <laughs> to fight a stampede? And I, I, I lost a little bit of it when they were like, oh, it's the same poison in all of the animals. And I'm like, but the poison would affect the animals differently, right? Like, um, and then who comes to the rescue, right? But Osella. And Estella's like, oh, they're fine. It's it, it's fine. They're, they're just animals. They've been poisoned. Just let them go. It'll be fine. And everything will be great. I, I do like the solution that is like open open the door on the other side of the so yeah. they have somewhere to go. 
like, I was like, I, I buy that. Like I buy that as a solution. Um, and so when they finally realized like stop fighting these things and let them go, but they take incredible casualties in this. Like, yes. More or less than from the jellyfish or from the sea of, of bug or the river of bugs or exactly the, the same. All of yeah. them have been incredible, incredible amounts of casualties. Non-specified statistical casualties. How is anyone still standing? Um, I I liked the solution, and I don't necessarily would have minded it coming from Osella if I would have thought that she was some sort of expert on like Gur and beasts and stuff like that. And maybe she was, but I just don't but know that it was ever. They did try and sell that a little bit. Let's pause this. So I I she has animals hidden within her yep. cloak and all this sort of thing. Like at the at the start, I thought she was totally being coded as a amber wizard. Like I thought that's how it was going to play out. Uh, she ended up more being for for uh, players of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay like a hedge wizard. It felt maybe more like, oh, but sure. I I hundred percent thought she was gonna be an amber wizard until she maybe didn't become that. So I I definitely thought she was set up well to understand the motivations of animals. Okay, since you've been talking to them. Uh, maybe I made up my statement just so you could say your statement. We'll never know. <laughs> Tough to say. Tell me after. <laughs> Never. Uh, so that is what they do. They um, they open up the gates and they let the crusade or not crusade. They let the stampede. Uh, they let it out. Just let it go the other way. Um, and that's the end of that chapter. No, these cruel boys have multiple tricks up their sleeves, and it's not just just stampedes that they have in their arsenal. Um, but then they let loose uh, a bunch of birds, which I guess are animals that uh, stampede in a different way um, that have uh, like explosive bottles uh, attached to them. Um, yeah, yikes. Yeah, geez Louise. What they should have done is put the explosive bottles on the stampede. The only the only reason that the bottles exploded was because people shot the birds. No, they were they were blown up. I, I Maybe I'm wrong. I, I got the sense that they were blowing up uh, without without the people shooting at them they were they were saying that like some of them like depending on the projectile like you'd shots you'd shoot some of them they'd explode in the sky or if you shot them with arrows they'd fall to the ground and then explode when they hit but otherwise they were still they were calling they were causing chaos on their own um and just shooting them out of the sky just sort of exacerbated the problem um i had a hard time following this a little bit just because each chapter was jumping back and forth back and forth i mean eh, it wasn't hard it's just it you were getting the stormcast perspective and then like the the um the keeps perspective so that like before even the bird like the first exposure to the birds was actually the stormcast had more had met the orcs basically and you get this scene the classic warhammer the warhammer like black library battle scenes where like the stormcast come marching up the hill and you know they go toe-to-toe with the cruel boys like uh stormcast leader calls out the cruel boy leader and they sort of see that they're preparing these like these birds and then the next scene we see is oh the birds have arrived uh in in the keep and they're causing this uh, explosive destruction so maybe it wasn't as confusing as i'm making it out to be maybe i'm just dumb um but it it's sort of the jumping back and forth from different scenes and it, it um as time goes on like the stormcasts are getting closer and closer to the keep and like eventually the the two forces are inevitably going to you know join up as time goes on but i don't know that we're there quite yet um did you guys any let's since we're talking about stormcast did anything from that sort of the battle between the Stormcast and the Cruel Boys outside the keep walls? Did any of the jump out at you? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I mean, there was the, there's the showdown, right? Like where uh, 
they, what they've decided, like, hey, we're going to solve this the same way we solved that problem by the banks of the uh, Silverfish River. We're going to go beat the boss. And uh, Arulos sets up a plan where, like, let's go kill that guy, kill kill the uh, cruel boy boss, and it's going to solve our problems. They'll descend into infighting and all that sort of thing. And he gets up there and he's like, hey, I'm going to throw down with you. And then the guy, uh, and again, Richard Reed, great job. Does a cool voice. Um, the cruel boss or, uh, says uh, that, you know, he says, you are you are a fool and then steps aside. And he's startled to discover that behind the boss is uh, a shaman. And the shaman casts a gnarly spell on him, which you know, it's basically it's like a total Mysterio situation where like he doesn't know what's real. Like he thinks he's falling. He doesn't know where he's at. And he's just basically uh, in sensory deprivation sort of thing. Like he doesn't, he can't interact with it. Um, he, he does kind of come to his senses enough to figure it out and do a lightning blast right where he thinks he should have been looking at and manages to uh, smoke the, uh, the shaman. And then uh, uh, the fights back on kills the, kills the bosses uh, gnarly dog thing. Uh, and uh, the boss managed to escape, but uh, that that's a that's a little bit of a turning point because that shaman is is providing some things. But he uh, Arulas in the process takes some real heavy hits because he's he's a little bit uh, incapacitated by this. And this is another point where I was like, why didn't they just you know they they like eighty five percent killed him once he snapped out of the illusion? Why didn't they one hundred percent kill him before he snapped out of the illusion? Um, and maybe it's just like he wasn't in the in the crazy zone for as long as uh, I thought he was. But. Well, it was like in between chapters, right? Like he goes into the the you know the the mind zone, and like he starts getting Boromir like bolt like crossbow bolts. Like he takes yeah. like he keeps taking yeah, them yeah. in like different like weak points in his armor. Good good verb. And so uh, he so the chapter ends. It's like a cliffhanger chapter, right? Where you think like he you see he feels like his life force like ebbing out of them, and like the lightning starts to like you know power up, and you're like, oh, this dude's getting reforged in a second now. You know, it jumps to a different chapter, and then it jumps back to him, and he goes, ha ha, no, just kidding, this wasn't even my final form, lightning bolt, uh, and like, he ends up surviving. Though I I do like the fact that um, I think a lot. Well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I do like a lot of these stories sure to often have like one of the main characters, they're on death's door, they're almost dead. And then they have a last, you know, last ditch effort and they, they, you know, overcome whatever adversity they have. And then they proceed to go throughout the rest of the story at full power again. Um, but yeah, like, but in this one, no, he actually is, he like, he limps along through the rest of the, the plot. Like he's, he's, uh, continuously on death door. Um, maybe he survives maybe yeah. longer than you would expect him to, but the idea is that like he's, he, Throughout the rest of the story, he's never really at 100% again, um, mm-hmm. which was, I like that because normally it's the opposite. Um, so uh, we can jump back to the keep. Uh, Nixar realizes, oh no, no, uh, Nixar meets up with his sister, right? Um, so he finds her and she is distraught. Um, she's upset and she's going to tell him the secret that she hasn't told anybody yet um, in that she has come to the realization that they are in the wrong spot, the wrong tour. Whoopsie. There's tours every which way, and she picked the wrong one. Uh, she got distracted. She got overwhelmed. Um, she got confused, and it turns out... The- she specifically says, like, it was like it was really hard to understand what Sigmar was saying. I was like, oh, it feels like a huge flaw in the process. Like, you know, like that that 
Ooh, man. It, it, that is could, not great. What about, how about coordinates, Sigmar? How much you get, you get me some longitude and latitude, perhaps? Yeah. How about a little GPS, my dude? <laughs> yeah. um, and she's like, she's like, we're here. We need to be over there. And she just points, you know, points to another hill. Um, and that is enough to basically rob Nixar of any sort of uh, bravery or, you know, um, uh, confidence. Uh, and he comes, you know, he decides that... Um, Oh, and then it's also the the birds attack around this time too. So like he's not in a great headspace necessarily, and so he decides that you know I I get out of here. I'm not gonna. We're in the wrong spot. Um, my sister is delusional. Like she she's gonna despite being in the wrong location, she's gonna fight to the bitter end to defend this place, even if it's the wrong place. Um, he says not to to heck with that. Um, I'm getting I'm getting out of dodge basically, and so he gathers his friends. Uh, Haxar rolls up. Elite Haxar. Um, and Ocella, and they decide that they um, have had enough and that they're going to flee the city. They're going to use the sort of the cover of um, the cruel boys um, and slip away, hopefully unnoticed. Um, Nixar doesn't like the idea that he's got to leave his sister here. Uh, in fact, he's sort of torn, um, but he decides that like he's not going to be able to get through to her. She's too determined to, to you know defend these people. Um, but he he's a gone he's he's a goner he's gonzo uh, other forms of the word gone is this dude um <laughs> he's a gong show i i had a hard time with this because this definitely felt out of character for nixar for me right no disagree but carry on uh because fight fight, fight. he'd been like i'm gonna totally stick with my sister and then he's like okay this isn't my sister anymore so i'm just gonna leave Right. And like, there was well, definitely a discussion of him being like going back and forth and being like, but is she going to leave? But this is wrong. But is she going to leave? This is wrong. Right. And then he decided to leave. But with Haxor, who was supposed to be her best friend, like that's who, how she was introduced. Right. And then with Husella, who he never liked from the very beginning of the story. So that's why it was, it was very dissonant to me. They, they snagged Husella because... Osella was the way they were going to get across Gur. Yeah. Like that, that was specific. That was like a, I guess we have to. And they were also even lucky to run into her. So like that, that felt like a, we have to do it. Uh, less certain about Haxor, but for him, that was like a central conflict for him. Like, you know, I, I, where he's like, like my sister is important to me. And she's she's like in a state that he doesn't even recognize anymore, and and maybe that was part of the problem is that we didn't know her so well before this. But like survival, like they are survivors, right? Like presumably, if they are the kids at the start of the in the prologue, they have they have uh, their defining thing has been to survive uh, for such a long time. They've been through some terrible things, and so he's dealing with this conflict of survive, which has been our identity for such a long time, or you know, stick with family, which has also been that. So he's got, he's getting pulled in two different directions. So I, I definitely bought this, uh, uh, conflict and I can see it breaking either way. Um, and he's a guy who doesn't think very highly of himself. Like he, he thinks highly of his prospects. Like he thinks that, uh, you know, I can, I can be a noble someday. I can have, I can live in a fancy townhouse or, or something like that. But I don't think he thinks well of his current circumstances or, or himself. And so, uh, I think him kind of letting himself down, so to speak, uh, is in character. So I, I bought him breaking this way. Um, and I, I thought it was, uh, I feel like I've, I've maybe found it more effective than you did for that reason. Guys, we forgot a, a super cool 
point, which is that while they were building up the keep, they being the Crusaders, um, they mm-hmm. were sending scouts out into the surrounding region, and the scouts were triggering traps and things, and they were being captured by, oh, yeah. at the time, we oh, didn't know traps. who or what, but um, it turns out the Cruel Boys have been trapping them. And so uh, they occasionally were stringing up Crusaders, like basically crucifying them out in, out in the distance, but with an eyesight of the keep. And anytime the Crusade had sent you know, guards to go like rescue these still alive, uh, uh, strung up, you know, humans, uh, they themselves would fall into traps and, you know, fall into pit, uh, spiked pits and things like that. And so I'll tell you how we can have accidentally glossed over it is that, uh, the book a little bit did as well. Like it didn't tell us like, Hey, this is happening. It told us, Hey, this did happen already. Uh, which was a, a little bit of a weird thing to have, you know, like, uh, time had passed, and they're like, hey, there's somebody strung up out there. And uh, Captain Tindaris was like, yeah, we're not going to go save him because here's all the things that have already happened when we try to save him. And you're like, oh, oh, all this stuff happened already. Oh, all right. You know, and it's fine. Uh, so we know that these traps exist out there. And lo and behold, Nixar and his friends find out about them, too, as as they're uh, sneaking out of the the keep they find these traps so they sort of like they use them like they, they're like pits in the ground and so they're able to like crawl into them and like avoid the uh orcs but it's around this time i'm trying to think if there was a, a an actual trigger that made him change his mind because nixar has a change of heart and as quickly as he decided to abandon his sister he says no you know what my sister's pretty cool um I think maybe I want to save her instead. What turn character growth? Well, so Nixar and Haxor and Osella hide in one of the sprung traps, right? And then they they realize that there's a mechanism to the traps. And if there's a mechanism, then there must be some way to set them up. Because they're like, oh, we've been walking all over these hills. Somebody must have actually set the traps and that's why they're actually open right now. And they realize that they're... Well, he's saying, yeah, that they can't be automatic. That there has to be a manual trigger. Because yes. if they were automatically triggered, uh, then they would have all gone off while we were stomping around. But uh, the fact that they went at a particular time means somebody somebody has, can, has the potential to have manual control over this. So therefore, if it's not just a random thing, then they have some agency... And if they have some agency, then there's a chance. So you're so saying, there's, saying a chance. there's a chance. Exactly. <laughs> so then, well, if there's a chance, then I need to help my sister because it might not be possible that she's going to die right now. Okay. So it's, it's, the, it's the sliver of hope that gives him the, where he makes him change his mind, basically. Um, and so they decide that they're going to use these traps against the orcs um, as long as they can find the, you know, the triggering mechanism, which they do. So basically they have to like fight a couple, you know, classic, uh, there's a whole army out there, but they just got to fight three or four cruel boys to get to the trap controls. Uh, what do we do? How do I do this? And they pull one lever. Oh, that one opens up a bunch of orcs fall into it. And I'm like, okay, pull this one. And they, you know, they all trigger. Uh, and in doing so, they, um, essentially stall or maybe even route a little bit the, uh, invading orc forces you know who, are, who have been charging the the keep walls at this point um as you know a bunch of a, a wide swath of them fall into the pits that spooks the rest of them um they scatter they you know they're turned to infighting etc cetera, etc cetera. um and they use that to sort of like i said stall that that charge yeah and this 
the Stormcast see this uh, and they say, like, oh man, like this is a chance. Like if if uh, the defenders of Ardent Keep realize that if they attack right now, they have the power to like maybe like totally break this wide open. They could turn this like little bit of momentary panic into a rout, but they're not necessarily seeing it. But what they would see is us in our golden armor clad in lightning going right into the heart of the army and that might inspire them and uh the somebody points out like well it's you know there's no way like the whatever it is 15 of us against 300 or whatever the numbers are we're grossly outnumbered there's no way we're going to make it through this and Aurelius is like we don't have to make it through all we have to do is inspire the the uh, defenders of ardent keep and that's what happens. They're seen, and that that uh, rouses the defenders of the keep to to strike out, uh, launch forth, and uh, turn this panic triggered by uh, Nixar uh, into a full blown uh, victory. Yeah, this this in some degree was a sacrifice from the Stormcast. They were being noble. They were, you know riding to save the day, not maybe for their own glory, but so that they might, you know, save a bunch of lives, which is in some ways in contrast to what we saw earlier in the book zagora rides out of there standing on a horse's saddle which i mean good good on you props Uh, i don't know if she had that skill or before or if that's like a benefit of uh wearing the auger stone on your forehead sigmar she predicted it like she got a a message from sigmar you gotta stand on that saddle well all right siggy if that's what you say whoa but yeah, it, it doesn't, it, you know, actually it doesn't, it doesn't break things wide, wide open. What, what it does is it, uh, it gets them enough energy to, oh, so they figure out that they need to go back to the Nexus siphon and need to send a contingent back there, right? Like the cruel boys in disarray are surging forward and the bulk of their forces are there. Um, now there is an element that's going to get to the proper tour, but uh, somebody's got to go deal. If these cruel boys figure out that like, Hey, we made it in, we've wiped out everything in here. Now we can turn around and wipe out the rest. Uh, then that's no bueno. And so what they need to do is send a contingent back in, uh, and they figure out like they, they have a plan where they're going to overload the Nexus siphon. Uh, and it's a two part plan that is not fully revealed to Nixar. Uh, but his sister is is going to make this sacrifice again, and so she turns and rides back in. But at the time, like she she kind of gives him the sort of redemptive blessing, and she actually gives him uh, the auger stone, right? Like she says, "This is coming coming to you now." They, when I I am going to die, um, when I do, they're going to need somebody. Um, they're going to need somebody to look up to. And he's like, uh, who could that be? And she's like, you, my brother. Uh, and so she and Arulos uh, ride back in. And Arulos is just like, I mean, Paul's usually one to say literally, but uh, Arulos is literally coming <laughs> apart at the seams here. Uh, and they use his uh, storm strike super death explosion to uh, light off the Nexus siphon and blow the cruel boys to kingdom come for uh, final victory. So dramatic. Uh, because they need to somehow disassemble the Nexus siphon 
so that they can move it to the next one, right? Like, that's the idea. And so uh, Nick starts distraught, uh, but the cogsmith says, hey, man, chin up. Like, I'm back to my old self. I realize the error of my ways. And uh, we can rebuild in the right place now um, that no other uh, ger bad guys will ever bother us again. We can rebuild it. We have the technology. Faster, stronger. And so that's the end of that chapter. Almost essentially the end of the story. Uh, the last chapter, the next scene we see is actually a bunch of Knights Excelsior um, who have been sort of ranging yeah. this, this far out. Um and they've come across a, a wide range of just ruins of all sorts of crusades, kind of un- with the understanding that like very none of them that they've found have survived. Like they're just finding you know desolation out here and just the the, the crumbly bits of past crusades. Uh, they find the fir- crumbly bits. Crumbly bits. Uh, they find the first Arden Keep and they see the ruins there and they they they're like, well, this one's a little different. It was destroyed by melting, as if it was like a big blast. Like what could have caused that? Like that's not what we've been seeing from other destroyed uh, settlements and so they ponder over you know what what could have caused this uh but then from the distance that you know their attention is caught and they see the new hill with the new tour and the new art and keep and that it is still standing and it's guards on the on the walls and you know the the banners fluttering in the wind and we as the audience now know that at least thus far that art and keep has survived correct mundo and then who wants to talk about the epilogue well, the epilogue uh, basically is we got a little boy and a little girl again, like we had at the very beginning of the book. And they are running away from very much at this point, the crew boys. And then all of a sudden we have a storm cast show up and just like obliterates the, the threat. Right. And at the end, of course, it's revealed that she is Zagora as a storm cast. And she's defending those who can't defend themselves. She has been forged. Sigmar was not done with her. So with this epilogue, when it started, did you think it was going to be Nixar and Segura between the epilogue and getting to Excelsis, like some kind of button on that? Absolutely thought it was that. So much so that I didn't read the last page when she said her name. And I I went back to the beginning and I read it a second time thinking like, well, what did I miss here? Like, what's going on? And then when I turned the page and saw that, oh, it was a Stormcast and it was Zagora, I'm like, oh, damn it. What a waste waste of time. Why did I? I was was like, (laughs) oh, I'm really going to pick this epilogue apart. Like, you know, uh, not realizing that it was, you know, the end of the story and not flash backing to the beginning of the story let me ask you this uh could it also be that the that we're wrong in presuming that the the kids in the prologue were nixar and zagora because i don't think they get names oh my it is quite possible my goodness davy uh so uh, I, I thought that might have been a twist, but both are possible. And there's one thing that um, Age of Sigmar likes, and it's that these cycles that like things repeat themselves because we see things repeating themselves from the world that was. Um, we we see things happening in cycles, so it could be, it could be that you know the the first two were Nixar and Zagora, and this is another two, and here's a cycle repeating. You know, kids kids fleeing from cruel boys and being saved. The only. Um, the only thing I would say that counteracts that, right, was that the father says the chain must not be broken. And Zagora and Nixar keep saying the chain must not be broken. Oh, sure. yeah, that's true. So I think that's I think that's more reasonable. But I think it's possible, you know, to to or just interesting to think about it in that in that other way. Sure, sure. 
But uh, I did. What did you guys think about Zagora being a Stormcast? Does that mean that she got taken at the end? Could have been. Yeah, there's, totally. Yeah. So was it her like if, ascension that dissolved the Nexus and not Arlos? No, it was... Uh, uh, I mean, I think they... I think somebody even pretty directly... I mean, maybe it was the two, but I think I don't think we've seen the ascension being particularly explosive, but I... You know, a storm case. They even they even actually reference it. Um, that's something I'll talk about a little bit later. But they, you know, they they make specific reference to these uh, the new chain, the new type of stormcast mm-hmm. uh, storm strike, uh, thunderstrike. You know, coming apart with more thunderstrike. Yeah, sorry. being intentionally uh, explosive. Coming, yeah, yeah. Um, but I liked it. You know, like we we get so used to uh, stormcast having been forged uh prior to kicking off the opening of the gates of azir uh that you don't think quite as much in the intervening what do we think 100 150 125 something in there number of years that uh more mortals would have been claimed uh and certainly certainly what she did would uh would qualify it's the level of heroics and faith and dedication that you would expect would qualify you to become a Stormcast. So um, I kind of like that. It made sense. I tracked. Right on. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was more likely than not that that she was gonna she was gonna do so. I mean, she checks all the boxes of what you know Sigmar is looking for. Um, yeah, if there's one way that Sigmar figures out the Stormcast, it's by checking boxes on a big Excel spreadsheet, just like Aaron. Right. Would. Yeah, you're saying it with the tone that makes me think you're not serious, but I don't see how. I'm wrong. <laughs> How would he know otherwise yeah. if he didn't collate the data? What other possible way uh, is there to do so? Um, also, it I'm trying to think. It's not that it's a reward because, as we've seen over many stories, being a stormcast isn't necessarily a reward. But like, she seemed like she was really thrust into this position. Like, she didn't want it. She didn't ask for it. Um, and yet, she tried her. I mean, she she did nothing but try to like do her best, uh, even if she fell short. And like. There's a certain level of humility, like all, all the, again, all the like greatest uh, character traits you would want in a Stormcast. And so if nothing else, I do felt like she just flat out deserved it. And plus she's got a sweet hammer. She got to keep hammering stuff. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer cruel boys in the morning. <laughs> all right. So let's do some, uh, let's do some questions. Let's do some standard questions. Uh, in what shape are the characters at the end? Well, Zagora's a Stormcast, so we can check that one off the list. Do you think Nixar is actually going to be in some sort of leadership position uh, moving forward? I thought and that was he... the... I think so. Yeah, I thought he was the leader of Ardent Keep. Oh, did they explicitly say it? I might have missed that. I, I may be wrong, but that was my understanding well, and then, how they finished it. Well, in that case, I'll ask, ought he be in a leadership position? I I had a hard time with that. He's just a dude. I think he, I think he grew into it. I think he, like... I think... Uh, his sister parting words and his realization when he turns around. I think, I think that was like the, the crux of the story is like he is, uh, he's figured out like that. He doesn't have to, that, that he's worth something right now that it's not, it's not what he could be. You know, he's worth something right now and that lets him become something, something better. So I, I, I believe that he could grow into that leadership role. Um, yeah, I, I would buy it. 
All right. Man, whenever Davis says something, he's just so convincing. I want to believe him. But like before, <laughs> when I asked the question, my answer was no, I don't. I don't yeah. think so. Um, I'm not saying that. See, if like the Hollywood movie, yeah, that was the, that's where the arc goes, right? Like this is where they everyone wants him to be, to live up to that potential. And it, it, I needed more to prove, essentially prove, prove that to me. Um, but you know, that's yeah. not, not to say he couldn't down the line. It's just, I hadn't seen it yet, but and who's to say? Yeah. I don't, I don't deny that Nixar could have been somebody who could have founded the city. I just don't buy that. He would have been somebody that would have consistently provided good leadership throughout the time that it required for another stormcast uh, or another exploration area to be there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, he was not on his own, right? Like he still had Haxor and Tindaris and uh, and Cragson to to be there. I think you know we glossed over a scene. There was one where you know he kind of comes out and people are like, "Oh, like tell us a story." Like they're looking for motivation. They're in a, like a lull in the fighting. And like tell us a story of you know, how your sister discovered the prophecy. And he's like, yeah, I mean, she was helping me hide stolen stuff. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he's, he's like, uh, oh man, like I really had an impact on these folks. Uh, JK, like that was a, that was definitely a joke for sure. A joke. Um, and I, so I think like that was kind of a thing where he was getting the, the negative side of it is like, oh, if I'm careless with it, you know, if I, if I'm kind of following these nihilistic or self-preservation or whatever instincts, then, uh, it, it does actually have it. So I think he's like realizing like even, even me, even insignificant me can have this, uh, significant impact on people. So, um, I could see some of the, some of the missteps, um, you know, cause I, you know, like, that's what, other people are maybe wired differently, but like, you know, you, you remember your mistakes more than you remember your successes. And so I think if he can, you know, collate the many mistakes he made along the course of his life, like then he can maybe assemble them all together into something that would make him capable with the help of other characters in this of, of, uh, leading other people. Sure. I think I'd say, uh, he, he definitely has the potential to do so. I just, I don't know that he's not there today. So like, I think he has still some, maybe some growth uh, there, but he's on, he's on the right, he's on the right path. He's got good role models. Um, let's ask my favorite standard question. Uh, who was, who was your person or who was your dude slash dudette or gender, gender neutral dude? I liked Osella. I thought she was the most interesting and kind of unique character that was presented in this book. So I thought she was pretty cool. Right on. Actually, speaking of Osella. Uh, we're going to do some listener questions too. Uh, Lichcast from the Discord, who is also a patron of ours, thank you very much, um, asks, uh, what are your thoughts on Ocella? Uh, and what is she supposed to be in the context of the mortal realms? Um, I think we talked earlier about what we thought she might have been in terms of, you know, um, Amber Wizard or a Hedge Wizard or so on and so forth. And uh, to answer that question, it's Paul's favorite character. What more do you want? She also is the miniature of the Escher Necromunda Death Bride. Uh, there are two figures, one of which has a feather headdress with a skull in the front. That's uh, uh, a stretch, but, but that's what I've come to expect, so carry on. When I read the description of who she was, that was the model that came into my mind, right? I don't, I don't agree with having a cloth over her face, 
would be a conversion to put a real face on her head. But the one of them is like far more of a, a sci-fi um, description. But the second one has like a needle pistol, which you could convert that no problem. But it's it's a a feathered headdress with a skull in the center and antlers on the side. And it very much in my head was just like, oh, yeah, that's totally what the character is. Right. But AOSified. So. Right on. Uh, Davey, who is your who is your person? Uh, someone we didn't actually mention in this entire thing. It's uh, a guardsman called Tamar. <gasps> that was my answer. Uh, uh, not anymore. Oh, yeah. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, so Tamar is, uh, he's a member of the, the Phoenix company. Um, and he is like a well-educated, uh, maybe noble, um, or from, a, from a well-off family. And he's just there for, you know, for the experience. He doesn't have to be, um, I don't know if you think of, uh, Chris Taylor that's in platoon. That's uh, Charlie Sheen's character. He's like college boy who, who joined up, uh, and is, is joked at for that. Um, I, I just found him to be an interesting character and he for sure dies, uh, like part of the way through. I think he, he gets, he gets smoked by the, uh, the herbivores, uh, which is kind of a rough way to go. But uh, yeah, that was my guy. I can I can see some connections. <laughs> and, um, I had a backup just in case because uh, I had a feeling. I, I feel like I'm getting a hand on who your who your favorite characters are. Um, but my <laughs> oh man, my other one would maybe be uh, Varric Skyborn, which was the um, knight the, the knight Vexler. Vexler. So basically, um, Aurelis's yep. uh, right hand man, second in command, and so he very mm-hmm. much is like a grounding. Uh, presence um for his knight arcanum um and so like whenever uh so not even from like a uh he's he's always sort of in his uh thunder vision or whatever we were calling it so there's that but then also just the fact that he has such a like difficult time interacting with mortals and so like he's a little bit like a jiminy cricket like conscious uh uh like or 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 like an angel on uh the Aurelis's shoulder, like being like, oh no, I mean, be cool, like keep in mind, like um, how to how to tread lightly around these mortals. And so um, I thought that was kind of a like I haven't seen that character in the Stormcast range before, um, which I thought was uh, I thought was neat. And then also I like his model; he's got a cool banner. Not to say that he's exactly the model as we talked about before, but um, one interesting question as it pertains to characters that I thought was worth bringing up is uh koros scarbrand's daddy uh wanted to know who do we feel is the main antagonist in this story and it calls back to something we were talking about way earlier in this episode for me but who, who do you guys think the main antagonist was? way earlier Gur, right so so most of the time they're actually battling against the madness of Gur. it takes a long time for the cruel boys to show up and they're you know i i appreciate very often in this sort of story, the uh, the enemy is powerful because they are uh, multitudinous and unthinking or whatever. And this is a different kind of when they do show up, they're a different kind of enemy where they're like really putting turning the screws on the on the storm cast by you know uh, psychological warfare, uh, and they uh, do a ton of their damage uh, on ardent keep from uh animals that they have like repurposed to be engines of destruction um 
So that's cool. But I would say for most of the book, it feels like it, it feels like Gur is the, is the main problem, um, that they're, that they're fighting against. And there, there is actually no name applied to any, uh, any of the, the villains, which, uh, I'll be honest, I, I kind of missed, um, uh, I, you know, we, we always talk about enjoying, uh, Josh Reynolds stories and that's because he can write a compelling villain. Um, and, uh, there wasn't one here. There wasn't, there wasn't, uh, that perspective in this. Yeah. 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 Probably got additional thoughts on that. I completely agree. I, I missed the fact that there was no cruel boys individual. Um, I, I particularly missed it when, they had the whole Stormcast going into the Cruel Boys army to try and defeat them. And there were literally thousands of Cruel Boys, but one Killaboss and one Swamp Caller. And that was it. Right? It just, it, it was, it did not feel necessarily like lore accurate or lore specific to me. Um, and, and I did have a hard time with that. I would have enjoyed, had the killer boss on, you know, Nash Tooth been a recurring character that was the character that was leading them into the swamp. It was a character that set up the trap, right? That was the character that was harassing them on their way back to the ardent keep. That was the character that they fought. But every time that they encountered a cruel boy, it was either a rank and file cruel boy or um uh, swamp color there were no names and that did not make me invested in them as villains cool right um speaking of cruel boys we got some more questions here uh boss Roo from the discord uh actually let me pause if hey guys if hey listeners that is uh if you want to get a question on the moral realms podcast what you got to do is hang out in the discord all day every day with me uh, just just lounge in um, and wait until I ask everyone if they have any questions for any ups, upcoming uh, episodes and then you ask your question and then I put it in the show that discord of course is found at www.themortalrealms.com slash discord anyways back is to that www.themortalrealms.com slash discord it is yes do the cruel boys feel both cruel and cool enough to you and then i'm going to build on top of that uh rambozo asks uh what did you all think of the cruel boys do you prefer the more lighthearted traditional oryx or the smart and sinister cruel boys so general thoughts about the cruel boys in this here story how'd, how'd they make you feel what was your impressions i like them but i wanted more of them right instead of the amorphous villain i wanted more of an individual that was all all right. All right. David, what'd you think? Uh, I liked them a lot. Uh, and I don't know if Paul, if your stance has changed, I know when they came out, you, uh, were, you were of the opinion that the cruel boys should have been goblins. You felt like this was a, a space that goblins had occupied in the past. Uh, and my, my take was that I appreciated that they didn't feel tied to the ways they had done things before. Um, I really like, whether they ended up being Grotz or whether they ended up being Oryx, I really like that there is a destruction faction that is uh, leaning to the cunning more than the brutal. Um, and that's pretty fun. It's fun to see the uh, the tables turn and the uh, good guys being outsmarted because, again, like I said, traditionally it's been 
the 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 bad guys are powerful because there's lots of them. Uh, they're not very smart. They make bad choices. Uh, the good guys can can trick them or outsmart them or you know out strategize them. And in this case, like for much of the story, the cruel boys really uh, have the upper hand. Like they are doing it, and not because they have more, although they do. Uh, but they're they're they have the upper hand because they are they are employing that kind of cunning aspect, the Mork aspect of Gorka Morka. Um, and so I'm down with that. Although, uh, although I say the Mork aspect, they explicitly, um, mention at, at least once, maybe more than that, uh, being all up on that, uh, a end of empires, Kragnos, um, thing. So, uh, that's a little, uh, I don't know, dissonant for me, but, uh, I liked seeing that aspect of destruction that was cool i want to see more from their perspective um one thing i'll add is that they also felt i mean they felt wily and crafty and smart but they also felt creepy like i thought they were neat in this book um because of like all the things they were doing unseen like the trap in the tower like that was that wasn't that was a, little, a bit much and like i think in like in a yeah. good way kind of um and had we seen sort of a live uh example of the traps that they were doing with like the pit traps and like the the string and people up on the just like that also would have been unnerving and like that's a certain element that you get from maybe like death factions but not so much destruction right but like i mean obviously it's a new way to to see orcs sort of act but like it it was like unsettling and i think that was a a great effect for this story like that that was well uh well played i I suppose and and also i'm reading the question did the cruel boy cruel boys feel both cruel yeah, it definitely felt cruel. Like, what, like in a very literal sense, like that was cruelty on display there, um, which was interesting. Let's. Well, okay, I'll ask this one. We'll make it quick. He all, Boss Ru also asked, "Did the Stormcast feel like Stormcast to you?" I'll say, "Did did was there any notable differences or similarities between this new breed of Stormcast to what we'd seen before?" Uh, short answer: No. Uh, I. And I, this is a little on me, but uh, I can find Stormcast a little rough to read. Uh, some of their dialogue is just like so, uh, I don't know, like uh, stuffy, where they will they will say things to each other that you're like, you guys already know that. You're like, we are the Stormstrike. Uh, we do not, you know, like you, you already know you're the Stormstrike. Everyone here is Stormstrike. Why, why are you saying this out loud? You know, like... Um, and there's a whole lot of like, like just reference to the storm, like again and again, it just felt like, it felt like a little bit of a slog sometimes going through their dialogue, uh, mostly because they are so like, I don't know, formal is not quite the word I'm looking for. I mean, I, I already said stuffy and maybe that's what I want. Um, so uh, I guess I at times would find them uh, tedious when it was their sections to to uh, talk about, where it's just like uh, they're going to say storm a bunch, they're going to you know talk about that stuff, and they're going to be you know really confident in themselves um, and startle if anyone has any self doubt or whatever. So uh, that felt very familiar with previous stormcasts that I've read, uh, with with a handful of exceptions. Um, and that sounds really negative, and I guess it is, but uh, um, I didn't 
uh, I didn't find a thing that felt different. I don't know. How'd you feel, Paul? I felt like the Stormcast did feel like Stormcast to me. Um, I felt like they felt overwhelming um, in the vast majority of the situations. Uh, they felt superhero-ish, right? Which is what I want this the Stormcast to feel like. Um, there were parts where I think the Cruel Boys were, despite the fact that they weren't individuals, they were overemphasized. And their tactics were just all-encompassing, which is more of what I had a hard time with, which is not that the Stormcast weren't Stormcast, but that the Cruel Boys were so all-powerful that it was hard for me to like stay invested in the narrative where it was like, oh yeah, well, they're going to eat their armor and they're going to destroy their mind and they're going to be able to avoid all of their strikes. It was. It felt harder for me to to see them as a valid threat because they were just so overpowering. So the Stormcast did not fail to be Stormcast to me. It was just that the Cruel Boys became so overpowering. Um, but to, also to kind of answer your previous question, I still feel like the Cruel Boys should have been Grotz because they're too sneaky and they're too vicious for me for orcs. But that's just a personal opinion. Sure, sure. Uh, to the Stormcast question, I, I I do feel the Stormcast were just Stormcast, but then which then makes me wonder why did we need new Thunderstrike Stormcast in the first place if they're just going to be Stormcasty? Anyways, um, uh, qu- questions from Sever, uh, also a Patreon supporter. Also, uh, and I'll add, hey, dear listener, if you want to support the show via Patreon, Patreon, you can. Um, trying to think what the URL is. You can find us on Patreon at www.themortalrealms.com slash Patreon, or maybe it's patreon.com slash the mortal realms. Maybe it's both. We'll, uh, we'll figure it out in post. Um, Sever asks, uh, are all Dawnbringer crusades named after the Dawnbringer character or all, or are all prophets of these crusades named the Dawnbringer? Uh, there were crusades referenced before hers. Uh, were they always a thing, but now just taking the precedence because she proved they can be successful? I doubt that Dawnbringer Crusades are named after this character. I'm sure that word was created long before Zagora was ever made up. I did some research on this question because I was like, this is a hard question. Um, are all Dawnbringer Crusades named after the Dawnbringer character? No. Um, are all prophets of these crusades named the Dawnbringer? Yes. Um, they're called the Dawnbringer Crusades or the Dawners. Um, but I, it's not because they are named after the character of Zagora. It's just they're, that is the name of this crusade, right? Um, there are crusades referenced before hers where they always a thing, but are now just taking precedence because she proved they can be successful. No, um, they are a thing now, uh, as in, as of AS 3.0. The Dawnbringer Crusades are now a thing. They're attempting to strike back into the wilderness of all the realms and to reconquer that land. Um, which is interesting because I was listening to Warhammer Live and Adam Truck was like, oh, it, the Dawnbringer Crusades are out of Excelsior, Excelsis, which makes sense. But if you read the core lore from the core handbook for AOS 3.0, there are actually Dawnbringer Crusades in Akshi as well. Um, there are Dawnbringer Crusades in all of the realms. They uh, they might use different animals or different 
abilities. Like, so if you're in Shaman, the Metalith might be hauled by a gun hauler, right? Or an ironclad. Um, so this is more of, this is where we are right now. Um, so I think that answers all the questions. Yeah, done and dusted. We'll move on. Um, uh, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of questions that all tie into the same thing and we'll, we'll take it as a lump sum. So a carrion from the discord asks, do you feel dominion is a stepping stone in the lore like soul wars and the necroquake was, um, he also asked, do you feel that this novel tie in, uh, has enough references and links to the broken realm story arc that led to it. And does this novel pave the way to further the story or inspire narrative setup for games pin in that. And then Google fame 52 asks, uh, what do you forecast as the future primary enemies for each faction in the 3.0 narratives? I'm going to group those all together and I'm going to ask, how do you feel this book sits in the larger narrative, um, for both the transition from 2.0 to 3.0 and sort of where we're going from here. So do you guys have any thoughts, predictions, or reflections on where we've come from and how it relates to this story? Uh, Paul, let you go first. Uh, yes. It is a stepping down into the lore with Soul Wars. Um, the way that he describes this, the Dawnbringer Crusade is really good. Um, I, I did not have any issues with the first half of the book whatsoever. Um, the issues I had were more of just... I wanted a little bit more than I got from the narrative. Um, do you feel like this novel tie-in has enough references and links to the Broken Realm stories arc that leads to it? Absolutely. I think he did a really good job of placing it in the now and moving it forward from where we understood Broken Realms ended. Um, does it pave the way for, for the story or inspire narrative set up for games? Absolutely. I, I have a Dawnbringer Crusade army that I want to put together because of reading this. Um, and what do you forecast as the future primary enemy for each faction in 3.0 narratives? That's a hard one, especially since uh, literally today we saw that Stormcast are getting Dragon Riders. I, I, I don't know that a forecast is something that we can accurately do right now. Uh, it is the era of beasts. Um, Mega Gargans are going to be a really good enemy for each faction because they can be in any faction. Um, Marathi would be a really good enemy for most factions, except for daughters of Cain. And there's an argument to be made that you could even do in daughters of Cain where she is the enemy, uh, based on the fact that she's calling herself Marathi Cain now. All right, David, what do you think? Where does this, where does this sit in the larger narrative? I mean, I think it is, uh, so Kragnos obviously had his whole, Broken Realms book, but he's mentioned ominously a couple times here. Uh, one by the survivor, the temporary survivor from the tower, and then uh, Kragnos's name check uh, by the Cruel Boys as well. So I think if you were coming to this brand new and you read this book, you'd be like, oh, Kragnos, like Kragnos is the thing I need to be worried about. So I feel like there's more to come from Kragnos is how uh, this sets up. And it does feel like it uh, sits in that space that Soul Wars did. Um, R.I.P. Soul Wars episode. Uh, <laughs> oh, that, still uh, missed that episode. So, <laughs> Helios, the uh, real Helios. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, 
it, it feels like it occupies a, a similar spot. You know, it, it's uh, introducing a faction that we haven't seen before. I mean, there was stuff that we saw in Soul Wars uh, that wasn't, never got delivered. There was like the whole like zombie queen. Like I was very excited for that. Like maybe, I guess we did finally get plastic zombies, but yeah, I, you know, so there's, there's not necessarily everything that gets mentioned here will get delivered upon uh, in the time to come, but it, it does feel like it sits there. Um, I, uh, my my uh, broken realms consumption is based on listening to you guys, so, so not very I'll good. Uh, let you. <laughs> yeah, just terrible. I have no idea what's going on. Um, but I'll leave those questions for you. Uh, I think that Kragnos answer also maybe comes into the the enemy thing. Like I think uh, you know we have more to see from the cruel boys than this book provided. There's there's lots of uh, models that haven't been represented that we know are on the way. Um, so I think it'll be focused around them. Uh, there's the uh, the vulture writer. What is he? The uh, the voice of the work. voice voice of Mork. Uh, so I think that'll be a big push. Um, from them and then uh harder to say with the rest right like what where where are we coming from with the with the others uh we saw uh we saw the the ghosts here so you know maybe uh maybe a little more olander um but who knows maybe i mean obviously they've got big things they want to do with death they did a big shake up during broken realms spoiler alert r.i.p nagash and uh arcan the black yeah uh, that feels like it's definitely setting itself up for some, but, uh, you know, what that is TBD. Um, so, uh, well, you know, what does that leave leaves, uh, chaos. And, uh, it's been pretty quiet from Archaon for a while. So maybe he's got to come back around again. I don't know. Um, I know that's kind of a cop out cause he's the big bad already, but, uh, we haven't seen much from other than, uh, other than here and there. So we'll see. What about you, Aaron? Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, as a comparison to Soul Wars, how does Dominion fit in? Um, I feel like Soul Wars is a much more cohesive and like coherent, like larger event um, in that like it it focused on a character. Well, maybe this is a con for some people. It's a pro for me, but it focused on a character that we knew doing big things, which is Nagash doing big necroquake stuff and all the things that sort of emanated from that event were all very thematically linked and very like clear connections as to like where the story went. Um, I don't, I've never felt that way or and by that, I mean the past couple of weeks and <laughs> I haven't felt that way. Uh, sort of the transition from broken realms to like this new age of beasts. Like it, it seems like a disjoint and like they were kind of stretching as to how that one led from the other. That's not this novel's fault. It's maybe the larger story, the story at large. Um, so I, it's not bad per se. It's just, I don't think it's, it's as like thematically tight as the soul wars was, um, which I so far have been, had enjoyed uh, more despite the fact it's long stay uh, in, in the, in the moral realms. Um, do you feel this tie in novel had enough references and links to broken realms? No, not really. And the ones that they do uh, like, and again, it's not this novel's fault. It's, it's the storyline of dominion. Um, I, 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 I still don't understand the connection to Kragnos just because, I don't know, Kragnos is a force of nature, like a, a brute, a physical, destructive uh, entity that does not jive with Cruel Boys, honestly, whatsoever. Like, that that's a, he's a, he's a muscle-bound, like, he's a, a punchy orc uh, god, not a, not a cruel, crafty one. Like, 
he's, there's not an ounce of craft in that guy. It has nothing to do with Cruel Boys. Um, does the novel pave the way for the first story or inspire narrative setup for games? It probably will. Like I, I have that much faith in GW and that like they do have a plan and that this will link to other you know sort of exp- like expanded stories moving forward. So I'm not completely doom and gloom about the prospects. Um, it's just you know I. I'll, I'll reserve my judgment until I see him, though. And uh, who do you forecast the primary future primary enemy? Um, so I, I agree with Davian that it seems like we're probably going to get a lot of Kragnos moving forward. Whether or not we should, I guess, remains to be seen. Um, but I think it's clear that uh, the Age of Beasts is going to mirror uh, the time of tribulation, so the, you know, the Soul Wars era, uh, and they'll hopefully sort of expand destruction in the same way that they expanded death over the past like what has it been two years or so we got you know night haunt your bone reapers your soul blight so i think if you're a destruction fan hold on uh because you're in for some treats i'm sure hold on to your butts hold on to your destruction (laughs) butts that's a weird that's a weird thing to say to somebody all right um i think that's the end of our listener questions i think it's probably time that we review the dang thing um so I think it's been the longest since Paul has talked. So Paul, give us your final review. I would do four out of eight spiders. Oh, we gotta do numbers. Okay, go ahead. I I, I definitely enjoyed reading it. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that I really liked about it, um, but I feel like it got a little bogged down at the end. Uh, and I in the feel blog, like it yeah, kind of, makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it. Uh, did not fulfill a lot of the promise that it was at the beginning to quote a uh, severed friend of the show. Um, I, I thought there was, should have been more payoff for the things that had gone wrong and the things that had gone right in the book. And it didn't feel like there was a payoff for that for me. All right. Hey, Dave, what'd you think? Uh, hmm. I will say one out of two children saved from the wilds of Gur. <laughs> Uh, which which sounds a little low, but I I feel like I I was about fifty fifty on liking and being frustrated by it. Um, there were some cool moments. I'm glad I read it, uh, but it was it was tough to it was tough to get past a, a few of the things where I, I thought the Stormcast were acting like goofs. Uh, I thought the you know there were aspects of this uh, very important crusade that didn't seem to be very well planned out. Um, and uh, so I got to the end and I wasn't like, oh man, like that was sweet. So, uh, but neither did I, neither did I like dislike it all the way along. Like there were, there were redeeming qualities. So that's where I land on that. Okay. Aaron, what do you rate it? I was so engrossed in your review that I forgot. I was trying to think of uh, a solid rating mechanism. Um going to give it three out of five. So that's better than you guys just did a 50, like 50%. I'm, I'm beating your, your 50%. Um, three out of five, uh, hard eating squids. Um, let's pretend that those squids maybe, or maybe those squids had five tentacles. And so they got three out of the five of those tentacles. I just thought of what I should have done. So I should have two out of three, uh, floating metal. Oh, I, that, that's a more I, I thought about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give it a three out of five. But uh, wait, wait, hold on. So three out of five is 60%, but two out of three is 67%. So Davey is actually giving a better damn review it, than you Davey, are. Davey, you always got to one up me. This is the, this is the equivalent yeah. of, uh, of, of 
on a two thumbs up or two thumbs down scale. This is this is the nooch. This is this is double fists. Um, well, what did what did I um, think about it? So I I said it before and I'll say it again. They had, they had all sorts of great ideas and like I'm sure the outline read great. Essentially, like as he as he was drafting up the 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 points that he wanted to hit in the story, like it it followed. I understood why we went from point A to point B to point C. Like I I, I get it. It all makes sense in the structure. It was just the mechanism by which sometimes the decisions were made or why a character went from here to there, or that, you know, so like you said, maybe sometimes the stormcast made odd decisions or odd choices. It, it, it was the, it was the, like I said, the interstitial spaces, the, the fleshed out in betweens that like, whether it dragged, whether it was confusing, whether I don't know why someone did this or that. Um, it, it, that's what slowed it down for me. So like yep. in retrospect, looking back on it, I can think of the highlights. I, I, I remember the, uh, the highlights of the book fondly, the different places that we went, the weird stuff that we saw in Gurr, the abbreviated story arcs that we saw, like uh, like the Cogsmith going from like wanting, to, having big dreams, big aspirations, and then that sort of the fall and then having sort of him realizing the error of his ways at the end of the book. Like summed up that way, that's a compelling story. It's just that like, it was maybe stretched out in a weird way. It's honestly just a, a, a feature of, or a bug of like these novels, right? Is they have to fill in this space with the novel. And if it just could have been, I don't know, shorter and more concise in these story arcs, maybe it would have been more enjoyable, which is odd because it wasn't even really a long book. Yeah. You know, you know there was the, uh, I felt like there was one, one thing I, I did particularly like, and I, I, enjoyed the theme and I, it has to have been intentional. Like I, I think he did a great job of this was, uh, uh, the, the, the problem that is presented by, you know, you have this grand endeavor and has all these great ideals and good intentions and then, uh, human or mortal frailties come into play. And even, even on the part of the Stormcast who are, you know, immortal, uh, but, have their own flaws and how like a combination of those flaws, like almost cause this thing to completely fail. Uh, and certainly to, to fail on a scale that, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of know how the arc of these books are going to go. Like there it's, there's going to be some victory, but not a hundred percent full victory for, you know, the forces of order like that, that is 90% of the way, the way these books end up going. Um, but the the frailties along the way, the uh, Nixar uh, self interest, the uh, Colgrim, um, you know, desire for personal glory, uh, Zagora's inability to read the the signs and the priests around her, uh, and so those those frailties balanced by uh, the you know, those that when placed in contrast with the, the valor, uh, that makes the valor stand out a little bit more, you know, like the, the fact that their faith gets them to manage to, uh, row ashore or defeat the, uh, defeat the, uh, the banshees that are, they're coming in or to, uh, make that final sacrifice going back into the keep to, uh, detonate the, the substance, uh, not substance siphon. That's a, uh, that's a Warhammer Underworlds cop. Nexus siphon. Uh, Nexus siphon. Um, so thematically, I like that a lot. And, uh, you know, the, well, some of the execution left a little bit to be desired sometimes on that. Uh, 
I, I think that was one of the positives that came away. I just wanted to hit that since I felt like I'd, uh, it sounded like I was dragging it harder than, than I intended. Yeah. I feel like maybe, and for me, maybe my score isn't necessarily doing it justice because like, I think taken in a vacuum, each of the character, main characters, like story arcs were compelling, like from where Nixar started to where he ended up was a, uh, was a relatively, uh, compelling or, you know, mm, I don't want to say concise, but like it, it, it was a, a clear arc that I understood. Uh, the, the Night Arcanum, like I understood the difference between where he started and where he ended up. I got that. Um, and those I think were relatively well crafted. I, I had a problem with nobody in the book had faith that worked out. Oh, she got reforged. Oh, that uh, no, that's, that's a, a hard pass on that take. Uh, like Zagora became a storm cast. Yeah. Uh, she saved the day with her faith. She absolutely did. But she made the mistake of putting her faith in the wrong place to begin with. Right. Like Sigmar. everybody's faith was flawed. <laughs> and that's, that's what I had a hard time with. Right. Like Arlos had faith that he knew what was going to happen, but he was wrong. Yeah. And, and uh, Zagora had faith that she knew what was going to happen, but she was wrong. But I mean, that that's the, that's the bigger discussion about faith on this thing. Whereas yeah. like where you're in a, world where you can actually like shake hands with your God. Like yeah. you have to find a way to make faith. Cause like, you know, faith has to be this like belief in the unprovable and he's got to find a, another way to do that. And, and so instead of it being like, yeah, does God, does my God exist or not? It has to be, is my God paying attention to me or not? Or is, yeah. is my understanding what my God told me? Which is why I had the hard time because Osella was the only character who had faith from the beginning to the end and was not betrayed, and it worked out for her. The only one. Yeah. Hey, dear listener, this has uh, been a lively discussion. Uh, we want to hear what you think about this book. So please um, reach out and let us know through any of our multiple social media uh, outlets. Um, do you guys have any quick final thoughts before we close it out? I do, and I know you don't want to hear it, but... Uh... My, my final thought here is I've found a connection with uh, Nixar and then uh, I think it was Raynar in Mirrored City by Josh Reynolds, where you have, and the difference being uh, is that like the, the final turn for Raynar was uh, to the bad side, like like to, to make the decision to, to become a full-on antagonist instead of like an anti-hero. Uh, and uh, Nixar ends up... Uh, you know, going the other way. And they, I, like, I felt a lot of the way through it, like Nixar could break either way. Uh, and so I enjoyed that tension. And I think maybe it was because I had, if I had not read the mirrored city, then I wouldn't have believed that a character in one of these books could go either way. So, uh, that, that tension being there was helpful. Right Fair play. I'll give Paul and then I'll give Paul an opportunity as well. Any other thoughts? No, nah, I'm good. Paul is my new favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yes! Um, and with that being said, it's time for our reforging. But Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us in Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. Paul, where can they find you on the internet? At PJ Shard. Uh, and I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at DosAsos. And Davey, where can they find you online? Uh, at Red underscore Zeke or at WTHCast if you're talking Underworlds. 
and everyone is. You can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. Since we're talking about Stormcast, did anything from that sort of the battle between the Stormcast and the Cruel Boys outside the keep walls did any of the can i jump out can yet? i just uh register a vote for calling them storm keist from now storm keist or <laughs> what about what about storm yeah. quiche hmm? what about a what about a nice storm or, quiche or uh what about if you kick them right in the storm keister <laughs> yeah i was gonna say storm keister is the, the definite winner here oh darn it all right well uh, we'll leave that up this is normally the sort of thing that i would edit out but uh since we're having so much fun we'll leave it in we'll let we'll allow the view the it's, viewers to vote yeah that's that's uh that's in legacy of eric since he can't be here i feel like that's that's the kind of energy he'd be bringing yeah, you got it that's for true um the spoiler phase the spoiler phase the spoiler phase